What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. Alan, I'm so glad you made it down here today. Uh, you kind of had to, you, you got into a little double whammy today. You, you had a good double booking. Um, I'm really excited. First off, let me say thank you very much for sacrificing time out of your life, your afternoon, to come down here and help me and maybe help our listeners and other people get a better understanding of the Calcomai system, not the Calcomoni, but the Calcomai system. Uh, you know, and, and also a better understanding of what tag draws might be like in California, um, what advanced hunter's education can bring to the table as far as you go through your initial hunter's education course yep, yep. and then dive into advanced hunter's education in specifics, you know, whether it be meat processing or, you know, taking care of game in the field. Yep. Game care. Yeah, you know, game calling, care. Anything. Yep. I mean, you just did a turkey seminar was it three weeks ago last weekend yeah yeah how, the, yeah I the ninth how was that no, second the second uh, yeah those weekends are blending together second was awesome we did a uh, yeah well, first of all thanks for having me yeah you know, i'm glad uh, glad we finally hooked up and, i know yeah it was uh yeah, a bunch, little bit of coordination today getting uh-huh. things rolling but uh we could talk about that later and then, uh, but the turkey class a couple weekends ago at Gray Lodge Wildlife Area up there in Butte County, yeah, it went great. We had a bunch of students and taught them about turkey calling, turkey biology, uh, game care, how to put in for the special hunts. Shot placement. Uh, a little bit about shot placement. Yeah. I mean, that turkey shot placement is pretty easy. You know, yeah. Shoot them in the head. Yeah, right. Um, it <laughs> uh, doesn't take a whole lot of class time for that one. Yeah. Um, and the students walked away, and it's my goal, uh, a little more confident and to get out in the field on their own yeah. and uh, be able to put in for these draws and, and maybe do a couple of calls that they weren't able to do at the beginning of the day. Mm-hmm. That's that's our goal. With the, What's your with go-to program. turkey call? Oh, Yelp. Just a plain Yelp. Really? Yeah. Do you, do you use like a, a read? I have a, nope. I have a slate call. Uh-huh. Yep. I just... Uh, just a plain slate with a, well, I have two, really. I have a slate with a wood striker, a cherry wood striker, and then I have a glass call for when it's a little wet with a glass striker. Really? And uh, it just, those two can make pretty much all the calls that I need yeah. to make. And I'm of the mindset call less. Mm-hmm. So you know, my, my experience as a game warden has taught me that uh, people call way too much. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they'll sit there and squawk on the calls. For 15 minutes at a time and put it down for a minute and get back on the call and so what would you recommend as far as time intervals for t- calling in birds uh, for calling in turkeys kind of a trick question because you can't <laughs> right you, you, every situation is different yeah but uh, obviously yeah yeah if birds in kind of a search mode or you know it, it can't can't tell you where he, you can't tell where you're at yeah and he's just searching you'll you'll hear him gobbling just kind of randomly and, and out of the blue whereas uh, a turkey that's that's coming in hot he's gobbling gobbling you can tell he's getting closer 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 I don't call at all yeah I, I want him to look and, yeah and come in and then if I have a decoy out then see the decoy and then he'll come in yeah uh, but yeah just it, it kind of depended on it 
if I have my favorite calling is uh, when a hen starts calling. Uh huh. They'll they will just call and call and call. Those those generally the mature or boss hens. Some people refer to them as, and I just try to match those hens note for note, call for call. Really? And uh, boy, that that. Do you put a lot of practice in? Uh, not really. No. Uh, okay. Uh, just make sure the calls are you know nice and roughed up so they yeah. make a good sound. And yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. It's really interactive, and that's real engaging with the birds. So yeah. that's that's one. It's one of my favorite kinds of hunting. And, How cool! And with the with kids, they get excited. Uh, my kids are especially when they're blazing back at you. Oh, absolutely! Or yeah. one sneaks in behind you and you know, <laughs> scares you. Uh, they, yeah, the kids are really excited about the turkey hunting, and that's one of the reasons why I like it most. Well, it's funny because so this is the first time you and I have met in person. Yeah, you know, after having you know a few phone calls. And Sam was at your event. Yeah, yeah. And I I was I had messaged Sam and I was like, Is that Alan? And he was like, Yeah, because I had never seen you in person. Right. So I was putting a face to the name and then I yeah. text you as well. So Yeah, that was funny. Full that was, circle. That was, you know? I was cracking up. Yeah. Yeah. So today you kinda got to go out and do some cool stuff before you even came down here. Right. Yeah. So uh you know, as part of my job running the Advanced Hunter Education Program, um, I like to use, in, in my big game classes, I like to use game mm-hmm. as, as a teaching tool, an actual deer uh, or an actual pig. And so coming up, me and a, one of my squad mates, we've got, we're putting on a, a sausage making class. Uh-huh. And we're working out the bugs. There's a lot to talk about in the class sausage and snack snick snack stick making class. Really? Yeah, so it's kind of a combined thing, but there's a lot to work out. So we're going to we're going to put on a class and, and teach it just to our folks so we can work out the bugs before we put it out to the public. Yeah. And uh, but we're we're using wild game. We're using pigs. Yeah. So um, so I went out uh, a friend of mine has a ranch that mm-hmm. we um, he's got a lot of pigs, let's say that. Yeah. And we went out and we're able to harvest a couple of pigs and took care of them just got them skinned out and they're ready to go and to be processed see and that's so cool for me to get to hear you say that as a hunter and a hunter's education instructor getting to hear you talk about that and it's i've brought it up in a couple podcasts recently where i feel like there is a lot of dfw guys out there that are spending time in the field and are harvesting animals and uh i really i really like that and admire that you're an advanced hunters education instructor you're warden for the state and with that you're also a hunter and and you're out there you know living the life and and enjoying the outdoors you know in the in the true essence I mean, your life is 100% about the outdoors. Yeah, yeah. You and, know, and, and uh, getting to pass along that message. Yeah, and it was before I was a warden, too. Yeah. I and mean, I, I didn't start hunting because I became a warden. I started hunting 14, 12 years before I became a warden. Yeah. So I was I was in elbow deep uh, into hunting, and it's, it hasn't stopped. And now I'm passing it on through the hunter education program yeah. to my own kids and it's great it's uh yeah i i really enjoy doing it. i like seeing that excitement on new people i like seeing uh the experiences that they yeah. get to have just uh, just uh just seeing the look on their face when something strange happens in yeah. the woods that 
they've never seen or never heard. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool to see that. Well, and I'm just gonna piggyback on what you're saying right there. One of my favorite things uh, as a hunter, and I mean, I one of my one of my favorite things to do is taking new hunters out into the field. Growing up in Marin County, there wasn't a lot of people that hunted, obviously, and um, getting to take new guys out or people who wanted to feel the experience of being outdoors and, and maybe have a better understanding of it, uh, and getting to see that light in their in their face when they're like, oh my god, this is, you know, this is what it's really like, right. or, you know, something like that, and then going further when I became a hunter's education instructor, it's for me so much about passing along the message and the tradition and and getting to see that light i get so excited or and i'm sure maybe you've experienced this when i'll see a father and a son pass hunter's education together or the father shows up after the son has passed hunter's education and what i'll usually do is i'll hand the father the card and say you know hand you know give it to your son give it to your son and then to get to see that interaction between the father and the son and like knowing from my experience what my life has been like growing up in a family that hunted and getting to have that experience with my dad and you know he had it with his dad and my he also had it with my mom's dad and you know it's just so that's just i don't know absolutely (laughs) the same way uh it's I mean, like what you're doing, taking new hunters out, that mentorship side of things is really important. Um, you know, if you didn't grow up in a hunting family, then that mentorship side is very, very important. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I take friends out, you know, my, my kids, my kids, my friends' kids, mm-hmm. I'll take them out, and it's, it's all the same. It's, uh, I mean, just watching that <laughs> excitement and watching that, that, curiosity of being out in the woods is, right. is, the, is the best part about it you know, I, I could care less if I ever shoot another deer in the state mm-hmm. if if I can take my kids out or watch my wife shoot a buck I witness the success of others Absolutely. and uh, <coughs> I won't give up elk and I probably won't give up pigs but you know, for me, I, I've, I've taken enough deer. I've been fortunate enough to harvest enough deer in California that I, I'm pretty content. On yeah. That. And I'd rather, you know, step aside and let somebody else pull the trigger. And right. You know, my son will be of big game hunting age in California next year, so pretty excited about that. Uh, but he's been on a deer hunt in Arizona. Just found out he got drawn for elk in Arizona. No way. Cow elk hunt. Yeah. How so cool. He's he's pretty excited. I'm very excited. Yeah. And, Hopefully we uh, can make that work out. That's so rad. All right, so without further ado, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Legion OST DIY Outdoors podcast. Today we're coming to you live from West Coast Archery in Petaluma, California. And lucky enough to have Advanced Hunters Education Instructor Alan Gregory on the mic with me. Um, Today we're going to try to tackle many issues. Um, Try. I know, right? As far as getting into hunter, getting into hunter, getting into hunter's education class, <clears throat> navigating between um, DFW's website, Calcomize uh, website, coming back, and then you know what? What do you do after your course? You know, tag opportunities, different species of big game that we can hunt in California. Okay. 
<clears throat> we have so much to discuss today. We got a lot. Man. We got a lot. And if we have to break this episode into two parts, I'm totally fine with that. I could do that. Right? Um, so before we dive in, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from? Yeah, so well, my name is Alan Gregory. I'm a lieutenant for the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. I currently run our advanced hunter education program. Um, but before that, I was a uh, warden in Calaveras County for about 10 years. Um, before that, for about almost four years in San Diego, uh, primarily working on the ocean. Uh, but even before that, I, I grew up in Stockton, California. Not the mecca of hunting that anybody ever thinks of. However, uh, I was a product of a single mom. Mm-hmm. I have an older brother. And uh, my mom, when she married my stepdad, he was a hunter. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. he did a really good job of uh, kind of integrating into our family. Uh, me and my brother had very, very, very uh, defined hobbies. And uh-huh. neither were alike. <laughs> he likes golf. I like hunting. He likes um, going to Barnes and Noble and reading books. I like fishing. And yeah. That kind of thing. So, but my stepdad did a fantastic job kind of working with each of us in our own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, as a hunter, he took me hunting. So, that's where my start came from. Uh, I can remember taking my hunter education class in Stockton at Alco Pistol Range. Yeah. And, uh, passing and just raring to go uh, we went to the junior pheasant hunts uh, any any hunt he could take me on I remember freezing. he was thrilled for it absolutely he, yeah. he loved it just like what you were talking about yeah, with your kid with my son yeah um, I remember freezing my butt off hunting in the butte sink you know breaking ice in ponds <laughs> uh, you know not shooting anything um, going deer hunting what it, I'm gonna in the butte sink, in the butte sink, and it was maybe not the best hunting. And how far has hunting come through conservation wildlife management since then? Oh, it's unbelievable! You know um, what I mean? Yeah, I mean just just waterfowl is like probably one of the best examples of uh, hunters and conservation uh, just perpetuating the species. The the populations uh, fluctuate, yeah, and, and every wildlife population fluctuates, but. The amount of habitat that's available for wildlife yeah. now, um, the amount of funding that's available for wildlife and wildlife conservation is is awesome. Yeah, um, we could always use more. Uh, there's no question we could always use more. And uh, yeah, if it weren't for hunters, I mean, we'd have no game to hunt. Yeah, there's there's no question. Right. Um, we hunters are the ones giving most of the money into back into hunting. Uh, target shooters, we can't forget them. Yeah. Uh, they, every every bullet that they buy, every shotgun shell that they buy, there's an excise tax on that that gets yeah. put back into the Pittman Robertson Fund and then did it <coughs> in the states. So we, we really can't forget them and we can't be, you know, yeah. just because somebody doesn't hunt and all they do is punch paper, they're giving a lot of sportsmen across. Across the board. Yeah. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Uh, we, we need to, we're, we're all in the same boat. So back in the day, junior hunts, yeah. he'd have you breaking Abs- ice out in the sink. Absolutely. And of course, successful I had to go break the ice. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Most of our duck hunts were relatively unsuccessful. Yeah. Um, but uh, big game is where my real... I, I can look back and say my passion was there. Yeah. I, uh, my first deer hunt over on 
a, a ranch by Lake Berryessa. Uh-huh. I can remember it like it was yesterday. A zone. Yeah, was A-Zone. it A zone back then? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just burning hot, yeah. sweating my butt off. But anytime I would see a deer, I'd boom. I'd be so excited and just yeah. focused. On it. And it was it was a lot it was a it was a happy place for me. Yeah. Um it, it, not that home wasn't happy or Stockton you know, okay, it's pluses and minuses. But hunting is where I was like truly happy. Yeah, and you know, my being, my parents were great parents at that point. They were uh, like, if you don't get good grades, you're not going to go hunting. Yeah, you know, they held that over my head, and I, you know, and it, it worked. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, uh, typical teenage boy. Again, I had this use, but uh, we all did. You know, and I can't forget my 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 biological father too. He wasn't out of the picture. He wasn't a hunter, mm-hmm. um, but he had some really good life experience and passed that on to me um more more advice kind of stuff yeah um he did like to go fish so we went we'd go up into the foothill lakes above stockton and go fishing party and comanche and mm-hmm. hogan and uh i remember those times they were great times uh, yeah but fishing will definitely take a backseat to hunting for me and yeah. any day <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah that just continued on all through high school then of course you know you, you're a high school teenage boy you find girls and you know your activity in the that hunting field kind of goes away for a little while, but you come back and um, went to college. Uh, went to community college in Stockton, and then uh, went to Humboldt and got my degree in wildlife management. So, where in the transition from high school to college, where did you come up with the idea that maybe you wanted to get into wildlife management? Gotcha. Oh yeah, that's yeah, great. I, I kind of skipped over that. So I was seventeen mm-hmm. and. <clears throat> well, wildlife management, I, I kind of like, hey, well, maybe I'll be a biologist and I'll know where all the good hunting spots nah. are. That was kind of my thought. <laughs> but when I was 17, me and a couple of friends got drawn for the X-12 deer zone there mm-hmm. by Bridgeport. And as it was, okay, there I was, snowy morning, sleet, nasty morning, mm-hmm. you know, good morning to go hunt. And I'm walking down this road. I'm cold and... Here comes this truck rumbling down the road behind me, and I step off the side of the road so they could drive by, and it just happened to be a game warden. Mm-hmm. And he asked me how was the hunting, if I'd seen anything, and then he did his job, asked me for my license and tags, uh, told me, he goes, hey, I've seen some bucks up in this canyon, you can check that out, uh, and then he went on his way. Yeah. And that was it. And it was that moment that I decided to go that's the job for me yeah that's what i want to do yeah and uh so so i had a goal at, at a pretty young age that i wanted to be a game warden mm-hmm. and i was fortunate enough and i didn't say this earlier but my stepdad worked for the department uh of fish and wildlife as well fishing game then and uh he was boat mechanic boat operator um so but mostly on the fishing side yeah and on the coast side yeah so he, he worked out of the stockton office and he worked at hatcheries throughout his career uh, so that was kind of where my intro into the department came from, and yeah, found out what I wanted, what I needed to do, you yeah. know, education-wise. Uh, did ride-alongs with a bunch of different wardens throughout the state. I did when I was in Humboldt, when I was working for the department as a scientific aide in Stockton, and you know, it kind of gave me a broad idea of what what this job is going to be about. You know, yeah, worked a bunch of different activities from fishing the hunting when i was on these ride-alongs so i had a pretty broad idea of what the job 
entailed. Mm -hmm. So I thought <laughs> until I actually got into the field. Yeah. So yeah, so that was through my college time, and then uh, worked for the department as a scientific aide right after college for about a year and a half, and uh, then I finally got accepted to the academy, and you know, the yeah. rest is history. So right on. It's been a great job. Was there was there a weird transition going from a hunter into the law enforcement side and enforcing the regulations at all? Is there any like uncomfortability in that or? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I think coming being a hunter and going into a as a game warden, you you've kind of unconsciously developed your like enforcement philosophy. I yeah. guess. your code um, of ethics. Right. Yeah. What, what you. You go. I mean, yes, we have these regulations and we have these laws for for a reason. But I think you go like, yeah, you kind of might step back a little bit and say, well, well I've, I've done that on accident a couple of times. Yeah, because you know, people do accidentally violate fishing game law. There's no question. Absolutely. And uh, so it wasn't so much weird. I, th I think it was helpful mm -hmm. more than anything, uh, especially working hunters. Um, you know. You, kind of know how to talk to people a little better and yeah. uh, you can ask the right questions at the right time uh, when to be out uh, I mean I, I will say I had grew up with some guys that were some pretty prolific violators and uh, <laughs> it you know having that knowledge ahead of time helped me into the job and, yeah. uh, I, and I think you know I, I think it did it felt easier for me yeah uh, and then you know as a as like a field training officer i've had trainees that have had hunting experience that have had no hunting experience and everybody can do the job there's no question i think the the learning curve is definitely steeper for the ones that uh have no in the have field no experience. previous hunting experience yeah. but they can absolutely do the job well and that was that was something my grandfather would talk about when uh he was uh fishing game warden was for him, it was so much easier to have more compassion or empathy for somebody who may have sort of violated sure. something or, or, you know, made a mistake in the field that was actual violation right. or something like that. And uh, he would he would talk about that, you know, and, and being able to, I don't want to say know the difference, but being able to assist better yeah. with helping someone understand what had happened and, and what had gone down. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you can definitely empathize with people. Um, yeah. You can empathize with them, but a lot of times you don't sympathize with them. Yeah. It's like, sorry, you violated, you know, you, you shot a doe. Yeah. And you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have shot a doe <laughs> thinking it was a bug. Yeah. You should have taken a little bit more time to identify well, your target. I mean, that, and obviously you don't have to have a comment on it, but, there, you know, it's like two years ago, uh, two different guys shot tule elk out in. Uh, Cash Creek, Cash Creek. Yeah. and like one guy called DFW and was like, "Hey, I shot a white-tailed deer." There's no white-tailed wow. deer in California. No, and it was like a beautiful. I think it, I want to say it was a seven by nine, or it was it was a really a big, really yeah, big it was bull. a really yeah. big bull. And I I had seen the pictures from uh, the biologist in the area that had obviously gotten him through the department, and I was just like, "You can't really like there's." <laughs> Well, and that's, I guess we could look at that as a, there's a funny story to come with this, but we could look at that as a failure within our hunter education. Uh-huh. I mean, we do provide... Game identification. Game identification. Yeah. I mean, we do, in our books, yeah. we provide pictures of the different animals. Yeah. So, um, it's not a requirement of hunter education mm -hmm. that we test them on game ID, but we do provide the information. And, mm -hmm. uh... 
you know, unfortunately, one of the things that I've, I've seen and, and has caused some frustration with, over the years is that what I find is that a lot of people just don't read thoroughly. Mm-hmm. And whether it be it books, regulations, signage, uh, they, they glance over things and, and then they plead ignorance yeah. later. Look and, at my uh, world record goose it, that I shot. It's, yeah, the snow goose, the world record snow goose. Yeah. Three foot long neck. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> the. It, yeah, that would that would be a, a swan for those of you who are waterfowl guys. The uh, yeah. <laughs> or not or not, and uh, it, it's yeah. It's so, but at the same time, that's they removed <clears throat> unlawfully removed a, a pretty precious resource. Yeah, uh, from from the field, and yeah. we're probably not going to take that lightly. Yeah, um, whether the court imposes fines on them at that point, especially for the guy who self-reported, yeah, um, that's up to the court. That's not up to us. Yeah. Um, so, we may write a ticket, and it goes through the DA's office, and the DA may look at it and say, "No, you know, I, this guy <coughs> turned himself in. We're going to cut him some slack. And, yeah, and probably not fine him, or maybe we'll send him back through Hunter Education. That happens every once in a while. Yeah, but." Uh, for the guys, especially the ones who like shoot something and realize they made a mistake and then leave it, mm-hmm. yeah, those guys don't fare well in the courts. Yeah, um, this one thing is, I mean, a lot of these more rural counties they they rely on hunters and fishermen as a source of revenue. They're bringing a lot of money into those counties, especially and, during the season and during yeah, especially during those deer seasons. Yeah, and they're. They don't look kindly on that kind of stuff, so mm-hmm. it's it's a big it's a waste essentially. It, yeah. it is a waste, swanton waste yeah. when that something like that happens, um, which is a direct violation. Which is an absolute probably, you know, a, as an ethical hunter, it's probably one of the most heinous things you could do. Yeah, uh, in the hunting world. Well, and that brings up another point. You know, when people talk about trophy hunting, and and it and how people have this opinion of of hunters, which obviously poachers, it, it happens through poaching, but. People have an idea and opinion of ethical hunters going out there and, excuse me, killing a deer or an elk for its set of antlers on its head. And like, no, that's a crime. We can't. We can't, as hunters, actually just go cut the head off an animal we killed and leave the rest right. in the field. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, I think that that's, <laughs> hunters think that that happens. And, and uh, or non-hunters yeah. think that that happens yeah. sometimes. And it does. And those are poachers. Yeah. So we need to distinguish between... Uh, unlawful activity and, and lawful activity. Yeah. Um, the word trophy hunter is kind of a misnomer. Um, a friend of mine would mm-hmm. tell you to your face that he's a trophy hunter. Yeah. But if you want to say the guy who puts in for 10 Western states and hasn't been drawn for a tag in five years and probably forks out close to $1,500 a year in license fees in the state that he's not even going to go hunt to get points, to buy points. Yeah. He's basically donating fifteen hundred dollars a year yeah. to these states and not even getting anything out of it. Yeah. So, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna wait twenty years to draw a really good tag to kill a trophy bull. Yeah. And and I say trophy in quotation marks because it's it's a of that species. It's an, a, a fantastic mature animal. Yeah. Um, so there's there's two different kinds of trophy hunters. I, I think. It, there's the ones that do it for the to stoke their ego, mm-hmm. and there's ones that do it because they want to harvest a mature mm-hmm. uh, king of the the species animal, and right. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. No. I mean, you got to say, those guys probably over the years give tens of thousands of dollars to these state wildlife agencies that they never see any return from. Absolutely. So it's pretty admirable when you think about it. Yeah. When you break it down, and, and that's actually probably one of the better ways I've ever heard it put, because nobody really ever breaks down. Well, you know, you have, say, one of my buddies, he's been putting in for Nevada for he's like 16 points or something like that. Well, Nevada is one hundred and fifty dollars yeah. a year yeah. for points you've just for one license. species. Yeah, you've you got to buy that license in Nevada. Got, yeah, to get exactly. Points. And so, fifteen years, you know, now you're looking at you know over fifteen hundred dollars just right. just for his deer points alone. And then it's like, oh well, wait a minute. And then he wants to go out there, and and his goal when he goes out there is to harvest, you know, call it a 180 inch buck or better. Best animal he can find. The best animal right. that he can find. And and that's years of his life and time that he's yeah. donated and dedicated into getting that tag, whether it be work hours to earn a paycheck to pay for it or whatever it may be. That's, I don't know, that's one of the best ways I've ever oh. heard it broke down. I, I've thought about it a lot because you see trophy hunting used in, in, in media uh, as as a negative term, yeah, and and it, it can be used negatively. Absolutely, and all hunters would agree. Yeah, that in the right terms, it would be considered negative. Yeah, like the guy who goes and shoots a buck during the rut, cuts the head off, and then you know tries to get it mounted later. I mean, it's or or, or just keeps a European mount. However, yeah. it, it wants to yeah. to to do it. Bottom line is that animal is taken unlawfully just for its antlers. Yeah, and that's. You know, one, it's out of season. Two, it left the carcass to go to waste. You know, 50 to 60 pounds of, of meat left yeah. on the ground to rot. So, but the guy that spends tens of thousands of dollars over the years to, to harvest a, a Or to draw that animal, late season tag. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got, I mean, here in California, we're, I think, 17 years into our point system. Yeah. Um, I think this year's 18. Is it 18? It could yeah. be 18. Yeah. And, uh, I've got max points for sheep. I've uh-huh. been fortunate enough to draw antelope, and I've been fortunate enough to draw tule elk. So it, it's it's just a waiting game. And yeah. Every year I buy my license and I buy the application fee for the tag, and I don't get to hunt sheep every year. Yeah. So I'd ask you where you're putting in for for sheep, but white I don't mountains. Wanna, the white I, mountains. I got no problem saying it. white yeah. mountains. Yeah. yeah. It's and it's it's just strictly because of the odds. Yeah. You know the odds are in that unit are the best. Yeah. And uh, you know it doesn't have the best sheep. It's yeah. got some really nice. They all have really nice sheep. Yeah. Um, but the, the overall, I'd say they're probably some of the lower quality yeah. rams. If you get and that it's tag, a tough hunt. you got to call my buddy Jake. Oh, you're, I know which Jake you're referring to. Yeah, Jake yeah. will help you out. <laughs> I'm sure he will for yeah. seven thousand dollars or whatever it costs <laughs> to do a guided hunt. Yeah, guided sheep hunts aren't cheap. But um, so. Diving into everything. I mean, we kind of just went off on an enormous tangent Tangents. about yeah. so many, but it's all, that's all good stuff. That's all great, you know? Um, so diving into it, we talked about it a little bit on the phone. Um, <clears throat> and I just actually went through this uh, just recently with some people that were signing up for Hunter's Education. Um, the navigation between, so I'm brand new. I have no idea what I'm doing, and I want to get on the computer, and I want to become a licensed hunter in the state of California. Sure. So in California, we have to go on to DFW's website. Yeah. And so I guess we'll start there. Why don't you tell me about 
the process. That, yeah, the process. Yes. So, so if you are if you're new into it, say your friend encourages you, whatever reason you you want are interested in becoming a hunter, you you go to our website mm-hmm. and uh, on the main page you it's got several things: home, fishing, hunting, uh, licensing. You, you click on hunting, and one of the main things that pops up is hunter education. When you click on that, and that takes you to our hunter education page. Um, gives you a couple of different options for, for taking hunter education. It gives you the traditional class, which is your 10 hours of classroom time, um, where you the instructors will teach you about conservation, mm-hmm. firearm safety, uh, hunting tactics, first aid, a little bit of wildlife ID, California specific laws, and so on and so on. Uh, Those classes, I recommend those classes because you you talk about a lot more stuff, mm-hmm. um, especially for kids. Yeah. I, I think that's a, uh, the best option for, for kids. Taking the full course. Taking the full traditional course. Yeah. Uh, then we also offer the online hunter education course, which is uh, about a six to, depending on how fast you click through the slides and read, because you got to take a little sub-test within. Uh, it takes six to eight hours for the average person to get through it. Now, for uh, someone to find an online course, can they just Google search California Online Hunter's Education course? Well, or? they're provided right there on the website. Okay. So there, there's four vendors that we use. They're not affiliated with Did California. Did you guys recognize? Yeah, that we that we okay. have. And uh, I believe the, the only one that's not there is the NRA one, which all has an online course as well. Okay. So you can take any of those. Uh, you pay your fee to take that. You complete the course, and they'll after you you complete it or pay. One of them, I think, one of them you pay at the beginning. One of them you pay at the end when you complete it. Um, you get your certificate, a mm-hmm. certificate. Now that's not hunter education. <laughs> some people think that, and some people have tried to take them to a sporting goods store as their proof of hunter education, and they'll turn you away. It's it's not, and it'll tell you. You'll be told multiple times that. You're almost done. It's uh, after you pass the course, you can go do yeah. the online follow-up class in person. Yeah. So after you get that online certificate, then you need to locate a an in-person online follow-up class, mm-hmm. and they're offered all over the state. Uh, so if you're on that website, it'll it'll ask you for your zip code. You mm-hmm. punch in your zip code, and you can say, "Find me any online follow-up classes within 50 miles of me." Mm-hmm. You find one, and it'll give you a big list of classes. So. Before you get to the list of classes, and obviously before you sign up for the class, off of the DFW website, you get your Go ID number, right? Yeah. So if you're brand new, yeah, you're you have nothing. You've never bought a fishing license. Yeah, nothing. Uh, maybe we should just explain what a Go ID is. Yeah. First. Yeah. So uh, Go ID is for it stands for Get Outdoors ID. I didn't even know that that's what the Go ID stood so for. Go ID. That's and uh, <laughs> so um, it is a unique number mm-hmm. to you, and it's kind it's of like, like a driver's license. Like your driver's license okay. number. Um, you could go create a Go ID on our website. Uh, you enter in basically your your name, your address, phone number, email, um, your physical characteristics and you can create a go id just like you're applying for a driver's license absolutely except it doesn't cost anything you don't yeah. take any tests you don't need to do anything it's just it's just creating giving you a number mm-hmm. and then if to get outdoors to, to get outdoors and go <laughs> buy a fishing license and go buy or you can't go buy a hunting license because you still need hunter ed but you could buy a, a fishing license online yeah 
Um, so if you get if you have a Go ID or if you bought a fishing license since 2010, you you have a Go ID somewhere in there. And when you go to sign up for Hunter Education, they're going to ask you uh, what. So you search for a class. Yeah. You find a class that goes, oh, there's one two miles away. It's great. It's next Saturday. Um, there's open seats. You can go to register for class. And it's going to ask you when you say, when you hit the register button on the, the website, it's going to ask you for some information. Your name, your address, your Go ID. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, what's a Go ID? If you don't have one, then you don't know what a Go ID is. And it'll say... Uh, you need you must have a go ID before signing up for this class and there'll be a link that will take you to our department page it'll take you back it'll take you back okay to sign up to create a go ID okay and and this is off of the calcamy website this is on the calcamy website yes not calcamy calcamy not calcamony not calcamony no <laughs> no no n in there anywhere um, so the uh, so that'll It'll, it'll bounce you automatically back, mm-hmm. and then you go create your Go ID, and you come back to the class you wanted to sign up for. Yeah. So now you can fill out all your information, enter your Go ID, mm-hmm. and you're going to register for that class. Yeah. And that's where you sign up, and then you attend that class. Now, if you're doing the online follow-up class, you got you have to make sure you take that certificate that you got from the online portion to, to the, the class with you. And hand it to the instructor yeah. as proof that you've done the online class. Yeah. Um, if you take the traditional class, you don't need to bring them anything. Because you don't take the online class. You don't do anything ahead of time. Yeah. Now, what I did with my son is before I had him do a traditional full class, I signed him up for the online class and I let it let him click through it on the computer. Well, over. It's a great study. Absolutely. Guy. Absolutely. It's inter- for anybody that's going to maybe do a traditional yeah. course... To use the online course as a study guide is is huge, and you don't have to get the entire online course done in one sitting. You don't have to sit no. there for four or six nope. or three or how many ever hours. Yeah, we should have said that. You can do it 45 minutes at a time. Yep, it, it'll save your progress throughout yeah. it. If it takes you a month to finish it, yeah. it that's fine. If that's it, all the time you got, right. everybody's busy, especially... In, Something that I notice is we have more adults, I feel like, coming into Hunter's Education, at least at the Rod and Gun Club sure. in Marin. We have more adults coming into our courses on a regular basis than we do with children. Sure. I, yeah, I, I, I should have run those numbers ahead of time. Uh, but definitely in my program, that's the case. Yeah. Only about 10% of my students are under 18. And that's for the Advanced Hunter's Education program. And that's for the Advanced Red stuff. Okay. Um, Definitely more uh, adults are taking the online class because a lot of adults or these, what we're referring to in the hunter education and, and R3 world is the adult onset hunters, meaning they, they're getting into hunting as an adult yeah. as opposed to a kid. Well, and something also that I notice now um, in my classes, we'll get like Yahoo executives, Google executives, a lot of people in the tech industry and the tech world that are coming in that really are interested in finding organic sources of meat and starting to take care of themselves instead of relying on a store shelf or you know trusting that whatever companies really actually has organic antibiotic free meat free range meat and people are really wanting to have that full experience outdoors hunting their own food and 
some of these people come from you know backpacking or outdoor activity yep. lifestyles where now they want to add in this whole new layer you know for whatever reason whether it be social media or joe rogan or or any of these right. influencers that are painting us in a better picture than than we had been in the past yeah i i've noticed even in the let's see i've been in this position for four years now yeah um there's uh there's a higher percentage of people coming to my classes that uh want to do it for the food sake yeah. food side of it and yeah. and i'm all for it i mean here in California, we'll we'll take all the hunters we can get. Absolutely, we're, we're not going to be exclusive and say uh, it's just well you've got to have grown up hunting. No, that's not the case. It's just Johnny I D mean, and the good old boys. These these new hunters are probably going to appreciate that meat more. Yeah, and uh, and take a little time uh, to learn how to prepare it properly. Yeah, and I mean I got to be honest, you know, when I harvested deer as a kid, I didn't do much of the cooking. Yeah, and I wasn't a big fan of game meat as a kid. Yeah, I mean it was the hunting side of it I love. Until you learned how to Until cook it yourself. Until I started learning how to cook myself, <laughs> and I was like, "Wait a second, there's better ways to do this." Yeah, for uh, sure. and that's no that's no jab at my mom or my stepdad. It's just it's just the way of things, that, and I think people are learning how to prepare it better. Isn't and I definitely can attest to the fact that there's as someone who's cooked wild game for people for the last 15 years of my life, I more and more will meet people that don't ever want to eat wild game because they had a bad experience, bad experience where someone overcooked it or did something terrible yeah. in the cooking process and completely messed it up and then they'll have me cook it and they'll be like how have i never had this yeah. and this tastes this good and they're, they're mind blown completely yeah. you know and it's well i think a lot of it goes back to the consistency of store-bought meat yeah now if you you buy a ribeye mm -hmm. you go to the store and you buy a ribeye it's going to be about the same every time you buy it. I yeah. mean, yeah, you can go to a specialty butcher and buy or buy grass fed or, or age. I mean, yeah. there's things you could do, but if you go to if you go to any of the big grocery store chains and you buy a ribeye, you're going to get the same thing every time. Yeah, well, it's not really the case with game. Yeah, um, it, it it varies. It varies on the diet of the animal. Yeah, um, you know what they've been eating for a while. Um, how uh, effective the kill was. Yeah. You know, if you had a very quick, clean kill, uh, a lot of times there's those chemicals aren't being built up in the muscles, causing yeah. a, a maybe a more acrid taste. Um, but acrid. What is acrid? Acrid. Mean? I don't know. Um, acidic. Uh, kind of. Um, just that that irony kind of taste. Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't know. Acrid is just the term that popped up in my head. Maybe not be the right term, <laughs> but uh, it's just. It's, it tastes different. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, so I'm looking up acrid. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's that'd be good. Get us Webster's man. It's a great tool. So, I think now people are a, a little more aware of that, and they're they're finding ways to uh, process the meat a little better. Acrid adjective having. An irritatingly strong and unpleasant taste or smell. Acrid fumes. Angry and bitter. An acrid farewell. <laughs> I kind of fit there yeah. a little bit. Yeah. You know, the no, taste. that's totally... I mean, absolutely it does. Irritatingly strong, Sometimes. gnarly taste that nobody wants to enjoy. Occasionally it is. And yeah. There there are probably some types of game where you uh, pe people would use that term probably pretty regularly. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so people are learning how to cook it better. It's more enjoyable to eat. Um, then the health benefits come in uh, with uh, you know the saturated fats and the cholesterol, lower cholesterol and uh, the non-GMO and all those things that, that people are really looking for in their in their food nowadays. Yes, yeah. and I mean that's I'm not in advertising, but I see where these companies are really really profiting well off saying that ours is organic or non-gmo and and people are, are really buying that and i don't know if the gmo thing is what if, if it actually impacts the meat or or the consumer of that meat i have no idea yeah i will enjoy a ribeye pretty much any time that i can get one right because um, they're actually pretty good i do like a ribeye. <laughs> i mean i love i mean i love elk i love i love deer i love yeah. wild pig and it's it's just in the way you cook it. I mean, you could easily ruin a fantastic elk steak by having an additional minute on the grill. Yeah. And duck is even more temperamental, uh, temperamental than yeah. that. So people, the fact that people are, are, are doing better at processing and the, and the cooking side of it, and a lot of that's due to social media. Yeah. And, and these, these TV shows that are actually showing how to cook and prepare wild game. Yeah. Uh, you know, we offer wild game cooking classes with my program. Yeah, and that's one of the big things that I hit is you. Yeah, there's certain meats you need to cook to 160 wild yeah. pig, bear. Yeah, you need to kill that botulism, or you need to kill that tuberculosis. Not tuberculosis. Uh, trichinosis. trichinosis. Yeah, and uh, nobody wants trichinosis. Nobody wants trichinosis. <laughs> it, it's it's bad. I mean, granted, it's only going to affect you. It's not going to affect anybody else. Yeah, but you know, unless you get eaten by something, but. The, we don't want that. We don't want that. Yeah. Um, so, but other than that, if you're dealing with deer or elk yeah. or, or some of the more red meat animals, um, they're pretty forgiving. And yeah. as long as you don't overcook them. Yeah. So, uh, overcooking is like I think the worst thing that can happen to any wild yeah, game. I think so. You know. Yeah. It, it automatically tightens up and gets the, that irony and it the dries out instantly quick. almost there's no fat in it yeah or very 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 little fat yeah so it's it it can be tough to cook but fast and hot fast and hot is the way to right. do it you know that's seared so yeah yeah and that like i do i'll cook an entire venison leg at, at one time called a flip-flop uh-huh. and that's the whole trick behind it it's it's seared you know fast and hot yep. fast and hot all the way down how many times do you flip it I couldn't tell you. It's way oh, too oh, you, you do, a bunch. do it for forty-five gotcha. minutes. Yeah, so you take the entire. You'll just like that's how I gauge deer. Usually, that I'll shoot is I'll look at their back hindquarter to see how big it is. If it's not big enough, I probably really. Won't shoot. Oh yeah. So you're like shooting the big, big the big booty deer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, that's where the that's where the big chunks of meat that's where are. The largest right? chunk of meat, Absolutely. and for me, like I like I like a good ham, like between fifteen to eighteen pounds. I think the best we've ever gotten is like. 19 and a quarter. Gotcha. And uh, and that's off of deer. Elk is a whole different oh, story. Yeah, you're but talking 70, 80. You, you basically, you braise it and you throw it on the grill and then you braise the other side. Bone in. Bone in, right? So that's your handle is, sure. is all the way down to the shank. So, right? okay, you're sort of down to the Achilles. That's your yeah, handle right that's there. that's your handle. Cool. So that sears, that first side sears, flip it, slice off quarter inch thick steaks, put it on some French bread and some butter. Everybody, it's like a appetizer all the way down right so then after you cut off the steaks you braise it again flip it cut off the other seared sides 
So you're like basically barbecuing like uh, what are those meat the the hero shawarma like, shawarma is that yeah. what that is yeah so, so you're slicing off a little bit as it yeah. cooks all yeah. right I see I yeah. get it it's good it's really yeah, good it sounds great it yeah. is well after next time I do uh, for the broadhead shoot let me know yeah, yeah. come on you know come all out right. I'll be cooking a couple I think there that sounds good um, so now that everything. Is set up your go ID. Oh yeah, we're gonna go back. Yeah, to that. we gotta go back to the. What we were so yeah, so you've got your go ID set up. You uh, you go back and you sign it for the class, and you're gonna register for the class through the Calcomy website. Yeah, through what we call refer to as Event Manager. Mm -hmm. And you sign up. You enter in your name, your email address, your date of birth, uh, emergency contact info, your go ID. And you register. Yeah. Boom. It says you have successfully registered for this Hunter Education class. Yes. Uh, it'll send you a confirmation email or a text if you want it. And then you go, you you attend the class that day and you sit through the class. And Whether it's the full traditional yep. course or the four-hour follow-up course. Yeah, so the four-hour follow-up is, is exactly that. It, sh it should be a four-hour follow-up. Yeah, it's, well, I mean, and, and I, as someone, I've, I've taught that course a, a bunch of times. It's a crash course. It's it basically very, like boom, 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 boom. Right. Show us that you're proficient with unloading and, yep. with and some operating sort of gun a firearm. And then, all right, here's the test. All right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it. Four hours is quick, and that's why we, it goes by. We real don't fast. recommend it for for young kids because they can't retain. comprehend and yeah. retain the information being provided in that short amount of yeah. time. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah, you're dealing with you're covering the California specific stuff on the test. Yeah, you're doing the gun handling exercise, and you're taking the test in a four hour time frame. Yeah, it's, it's busy, uh, and instructors that do it on a regular basis do it when in a team. Because one instructor has a really hard time running a bunch of students through in four hours. Yeah. Uh, so we recommend they do the bigger classes in, in a team. So yeah. a couple of guys can do, a couple of instructors can do uh, the gun handling exercise. Yeah. And, and just get people through, debrief it, so make sure they understand what they did was right or wrong mm -hmm. and why. And then take the test. Mm -hmm. So... Then you pass, you know, you pass the test with eighty percent, and this goes for eighty percent on the online follow-up class or the traditional. That's your passing score. Yeah, you get your hunter education certificate yeah. right then and there. And right. Well, it's funny too in some classes where like a kid will miss, you know, twenty-five, right. or an adult will miss twenty-five. Absolutely happens. And it's it's funny because we've had classes where the adult have the adult fails and the, and the kid and the child passes. And, uh, <clears throat> well, what we always try to remember is, you know, because some people get offended about it. Sure. You know, and you try to explain, well, you can come back to another class at a future date and retake the test. And, you know, um, we're here to help you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're not here to. We don't want to lose them if they fail the test one time. Exactly. And, and one of the biggest things that I always try to, to go to or, or we go to as a team uh, down out of Marin is, do you want someone who's missed 25, who's gotten 25 wrong answers to be the person handling the firearm or sure. piece of archery equipment next to you? And the answer, everybody's answer is always no. No, no I don't. Yeah. You know, and that's, and and personal. I mean, you know, and this is just my personal thing. I mean, I think 85 or 90%, or you know, would be 
you know, I mean, that's just right. Yeah, we're we're you know we're stuck at eighty. Yeah, and that's yeah. and that's okay. Um, it's the information itself is not is not difficult at all. It's uh, you got to just pay attention. Yeah, you know, the students need to, to pay attention to what's going on. Yeah, and, and like you well, said, that goes back to retention. I absolutely, think. absolutely, you know, retention. Right. And and for me, when I took it. Um, our instructor was a great guy. It was two days, and you know that was back when you could still bring firearms to all the kids. Sure. Students could bring firearms to the courses, um, and uh, it was a really interactive course for us all. And that's something that you kept pointing out, or you've kept pointing out this whole time, is it's better for youth and for children to take the longer course because it is more interactive. It's a little bit more hands-on. Definitely. You know, it's not going to be a, a speed course, just bang, 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 you know, and then you're done. And, right. and also something that you brought up too that I feel like is really beneficial is if someone's going to have their child go through Hunter's education, they can have their child do the online course and then do the traditional course as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because how difficult is it maybe to say here's this notebook go read this you know 100 page notebook and and retain the information Absolutely. where the online course is a little bit more interactive and it's a know. lot more interactive and, and let's be real i mean yeah. kids today aren't are, reading books are generally not as reading books and yeah. for you know i know this is a podcast and all but i'm holding up my cell phone you know the electronic digital side of it is yeah. is far more appealing to the the, the kids nowadays than uh, than it was when when I I mean we didn't have it when I grew up I mean I'm I'm 42 yeah and we didn't have anything like this when I was 12 so uh, the fact that these the, the kids nowadays can can log into that online class and go through watch these videos watch these simulations of how a firearm operates how a lever action operates yeah how a pump action operates. And they're they're seeing how a firearm operates. They're seeing the different types of actions. They're seeing safety locations, mm -hmm. parts of the gun. You know how the bullet feeds and and, and ejects. Well, and parts of the things. cartridge as well. And then the parts of the cartridge yeah. and how what happens when a bullet fires. Uh, and and all these things are good. Yeah. Um, well, know. and for me, like I'm a visual learner, so I'm going to sure. learn so much better by looking at yeah. you know a video or 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 Absolutely. a diagram and. Instead of having someone explain a yeah, lot of it, yeah, yeah, you know? and, and that and those videos offer you the visual cues, the audio, uh, auditory cues. They basically they, they appeal to all types of listeners. Yeah, you don't have the kinesthetic side where you're handling the firearms, but you're going <laughs> to do that in the cup. Yeah, the you'll class. do that in the fall or and, in the class. And the state, you know, we we in the hunter ed program. I don't know, four years ago or so, we bought, and even before that, we bought training gun sets that mm -hmm. we distribute to hunter education instructors yeah. to the, use in their classes the big the big plastic the big golf tub bag uh, tub yeah. with the five different training guns in them. yeah they're inert training guns they cannot be fired mm -hmm. um and they're bright orange to show that they're you know not actual firearms uh but they're they're using classes and we provide dummy ammunition mm -hmm. so students can go in and work the action of a lever gun and feel like a cowboy for a couple of seconds right. and so they, it's a it's a really good tool that instructors are using and i think uh, students are becoming 
it's it's more helpful to them when it comes yeah. down to the test when you see the questions. What are the five most common actions in uh, you know used in hunting? Yeah, that's it, it's you remember like okay okay I had that little gun I had the cowboy gun and <laughs> so it, it's a great tool that instructors have. Yeah, totally. You know and and something else too. I mean. For me, when I was learning, I did the I did the full course. You know, I think there was like six or seven of us that were all buddies. We're all ten year olds or twelve year olds, and uh, I want to say it was ninety five. So we were all ten year olds, and that that was a big part for me as well as a as a kid getting to go do this experience and learn it with my buddies. Social side, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, because in Marin, you know, back then there was. You know, six or seven kids that grew up together that maybe all were into getting or were all getting into hunting sure. at some point. Unlike today, but hopefully that'll change. Yeah, it's it, it's really cool having a son who's into hunting. Yeah, because it, and I live in a rural county, mm-hmm. and even there, there's not it, it, at his age. It, there's not a lot of hunters. Yeah, so. When he goes to school and he loves to take a picture of a turkey that he shot, yeah, he wants it printed out. He's taking it to school and he's showing, showing all his everybody. Buddies, yeah, right. <laughs> and but you know what that does is that excites other kids. Yeah. So now I've had several of his friends come to hunter safety classes because yeah. they want to go hunting themselves because they want to try it. And and that so I think once the parents, I think there's some there's some animosity not animosity there's some fear on these parents sides mm-hmm. that it, even if, if they don't have any hunting experience that's it's not good well it it's it's a it's a really good tool i mean right. it, as as a kid growing up um, you know one of one of my one of my big things and this a lot of this comes from a book i read uh, where it talks about whether it's a true scientific term or not but nature deficit disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, kids are going to school, they're coming home, playing video games, but they're, they're locked up in the house. Yeah. I mean, even the neighborhood I live in, I mean, you, I know there's probably 30 kids in the neighborhood, and you go out on any given day, and there may be one or two outside. How scary is that? And, and, and I think they're, and I, anyway, we have a creek two houses down from us. Yeah. I mean, I would have lived kids in that creek. Kids should be outside. If, you know, they should catch them crawdads and frogs and all kinds yeah. of stuff, but they're not. Yeah. So, um, and, and I have to fight this fight with even with my son. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I'm literally, you know, it's boot to the rear out the door to get him get outside out sometimes. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And, and, and I think there's just... Because before for you, if you were outside, you were, it was probably more like, all right, you got to come home now. Right. Come back it inside. Was. It was. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I joke that you gotta I... got to be home at sunset. Right, or the, when the lights come on, you got to be home. And, yeah. Um, and you're not... I, I think parents have some innate fear of their kids being outside and learning that independence and, yeah. and, and working through situations on their own. But, you know, maybe they're, they're scared because of crime. Well, crime's lower than it ever was. Mm-hmm. It's definitely lower than when we were kids. Oh, for sure. And But I think it's more out there because of social media and yeah. uh so parents are have a maybe a misplaced fear of, of warped crime. perception of what's yeah really going i don't want to call them warped but you know okay. it, it's misplaced it's yeah. it's misplaced not true. is way if, better if, than if that, you look <laughs> if you look at the numbers there the crime is way lower now than it ever was yeah but 
it's more in your face. Uh-huh. And I think parents worry about that more. And, and I can't blame a parent for worrying about their kids. I worry oh, about course. my kids. Yeah. But And you, like you're saying, you as a parent. Absolutely. And But I, I see the benefit of sending them off on their own and mm-hmm. letting them make these decisions, letting them fall in the creek or whatever right. and uh, figure out that they've got to come home and tell dad that they fell in the creek or whatever. Yeah. I, you know, uh, it's, it's just one of those things. Yeah. And, and I think kids are, are there, there is something to this nature deficit disorder because yeah. the kids that I, some of the kids that I see at, at my, both my kids school is, you know, they're, they're never outside mm-hmm. and they're hyperactive. Yeah. They're in class. They can't <clears throat> sit still. Um, ADD. I don't want to use ADD because, okay. it, but it's yeah, yeah. they're just they're just they don't get the chance to burn it off. Yeah, and I think that that translates, you know, to coming back to as simple as going and playing in the creek after school one right? day. Right. And well, burn it exactly what you said. They're burning off they're, the energy. They're burning energy. They're using their brains. They're using their creativity. Yeah. Um, you well, know, growing up in the neighborhood I grew up on, you know, sure we I lived in a cul-de-sac, and there's. Me and my brother, there was two kids across the street, and there was another house of three kids down the way. And between all of the, all seven of us, every single day, you could get into a tennis baseball game or a kickball Absolutely. game or a tag game. Or at the end of our street was a creek. Um, we'd all take to the creek with each other and, like, make up make-believe games Absolutely. in the creek and having a great time. You're and using your imagination. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? And how much energy, how much... I'm, I want to say how much terror did that save my parents with us burning off all that energy and then coming home wiped out. It, it, you know it, what I mean? It probably saved them a ton. Yeah. So it's pretty important. And, you know, I I think it, if we're going to translate this to hunting yeah. in, in the future... We've got to look at this as a, as a social mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, problem's not the word I want to use. Social issue that we need to get kids outside more. Now, I understand it's hard you yeah. know, in the big cities. Yeah. The outside isn't available, as readily available there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for some of these suburban and rural kids, even the rural kids are spending a lot of time in more time indoors now than they ever were Mm -hmm. and we need to encourage them to get out and that encouragement you know through either social skills or through the school system or however we're gonna try and reach out to these these kids to say hey hunting's over here maybe come come take a look at what we're about yeah uh, what hunting's about yeah And, and maybe at the very least, we're going to educate these kids into that hunting's not bad. Yeah, hunting is 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 good for the resource. Uh, it, it provides revenue and funding for the resource. It keeps the populations at stable levels, and that's all stuff they're going to learn yeah. going through a hunter education class. Right, and, and see, and, and that's exactly what it is too. It's a hunter's education right. class, so it's we're yeah. giving people the education and behind it. Right, we we moved away from hunter safety, yeah, to hunter education because yeah. we're talking more about conservation and wildlife management and first aid. Right. So it's not survival, survival, yeah. and it, it's it's not just pulling the trigger and yeah. what do you do next. Yeah. It's it's the education of, of why hunting is is a big thing in this country, mm-hmm. and I mean it, it's it's one of the first 
laws we had in the state. Mm-hmm. I mean, commercial fishing laws in California were some of the first real like hardcore on the books laws we had in the state. Yeah. So consumptive users put these laws into place to protect resources. Yeah. Um, in the Migratory Bird Treaty Act with the waterfowl commercialization, um, yeah, you know, Pittman Robertson Act to conserve. I mean, this was in the 30s during the at the end of the Great Depression or after the Great Depression, and the the industry and the people are like, we'll pay the tax, yeah, no problem, yeah. If this, this helps has to happen in order to preserve what's going on, so uh, all that is. Uh, I mean, there's a saying, and I don't like cliches, but what is it? If <laughs> Let's you get if you don't learn about <laughs> you know if you don't learn about history, you're destined to repeat it. What's the saying? Uh, you know. You don't learn from mistakes; you're destined to repeat them. Something like yeah, that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But you know, we did, and and I think we're we're at a point where we're at a tipping point where that if we don't do something in in California and and, and other states, not just California, uh, we're going to lose that side of yeah. uh, you know conservation side of it, and it'll mm-hmm. turn to a more preservation side of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, California is a ground zero for that. Right. It really is. I yeah. Mean, We've got a fantastic array of resources. Uh, our populations could probably be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, habitat issues, a lot of highways, a lot of cars clipping animals, and uh, poaching is an issue, predation is an issue. There's a whole host of issues. Well, and I was actually wildlife. just talking with a fellow last Friday about the amount of dead animals that occur from roadkill. Sure. Roadkill is like probably one of our leading contributors i think to to animal in certain areas yeah yeah. you know what i mean yeah which is why in the last 15 or 20 years there's been more fences going up and tunnels going in as far as helping animals with migration patterns yeah you're seeing the corridors Uh, we've got you know over uh, on highway 89 north of Truckee. you see the big migratory deer fences that Mm -hmm. um you know because they have mass roadkill in those areas and, Mm -hmm. and it can actually it can be so high to where it's population level effects. Yeah. And, and that's what we want to avoid. Yeah. Well, um, generating awareness about that is so important, I think. Absolutely. And, and helping people understand that, you know, yep. that, that there's more to it than just hunters killing animals. There's oh, yeah. There's <laughs> lots of it. I mean, disease issues and, uh, you know, habitat issues. Uh, winter die-offs. Winter die-offs happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. I mean, what was that one down in uh, down toward Southern California two years ago, where all the bucks slid down the mountain in an avalanche? Right. Yeah, I, I'm not. I, I just read an article about that. I guess it wasn't even an avalanche. Oh, it really? Was, uh, it was just an ice sheet, and and these deer that were doing their natural migratory pattern came over the hill and hit this ice sheet and, and just slid right down the hill. Really? And piled up down in this big rock pile. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just, yeah, if you've seen those pictures, they're amazing That's how many bucks how and many deer bucks. and just, yeah, it, it hammered that herd there, yeah. whatever, whatever that specific little herd was. It, yeah. It got hammered that, that winter. Did that affect tags at all or do you know? I, I think that winter in general affected yeah. tags. Across um, the board. Yeah, they had a pretty significant lower snow down on the winter range mm-hmm. and had a pretty significant die off. Oh, wow. Whether that was... Well, no, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that was die-off. It may have been something like we had really good... Because we were coming off five years of drought. Yeah. And deer counts may have not been... Because we didn't have these big snows, so the deer were spread out more. And maybe didn't have accurate counts on deer on the winter range. Because they weren't on the winter range. 
But they weren't needing to go. That and this low. is an assumption on my part. Yeah. But and then we have this boom. We have this big winter, and we're like, wow, we we don't have that many deer. They mm-hmm. all should be here right now, and they're not here. Yeah, that could have been it. But obviously, something changed to where they dropped the quota big time. Yeah, and whether it was a, a kill or good population counts and shows that we're, we're hey we have more deer than we thought yeah we cut the tags big time in those x12 9a 9b zones yeah and and for rightfully so i mean it, it made a lot of hunters mad yeah uh, but uh, they get over it yeah and well and the tags will come back when the herd absolutely. comes back and then they already are yeah they already are so you we've know. had a couple of good winners yeah and the the fawn survival's been good uh, yeah we're and we're getting more tags back yeah so see and that's that's the balance that wildlife management plays absolutely right yeah and, and hunters um have to have to go i understand i understand painfully i, I will understand. i will wait <laughs> another two years to get my x9a tag or or whatever it, yes yeah. they they have to and they do understand uh we're human we're yeah. all humans we all gripe and we complain and right. we ultimately we get over it yeah i doubt anybody or very few people quit hunting <laughs> because they didn't get their X12 tag that year. Yeah, uh, it just doesn't happen. But, right. I mean, we like to know. So moving on. Moving on. Advanced hunters education. All right. Tell me about advanced hunters education. So I've completed hunters education, but here I am. I'm not coming from a hunting family. I don't know anything about how to process wild game in the yep. field or how to cook it, which we kind of went over a little bit, you know, or, or prepare it or anything really. What, what would you say? Like, yeah, let's talk about advanced hunters education and what it offers. So you've just taken basic hunter ed, you've passed your test, you've got this nice certificate and you like, it comes to you and says, wow, I just, what do I do now? Where do I go? How do by gun, I guess. Uh, then I'm going to go duck hunting mm-hmm. uh, or deer hunting. It, so what the Advanced Hunter Ed program does is it, is it bridges that gap. Mm-hmm. And whereas basic hunter education is is, is broad. Mm-hmm. And uh, broad in the general of the number of topics that it covers. Advanced hunter education is very specific. Okay. Like I have deer hunting classes. Yeah. So if you come to a, like, uh, or next weekend I have a turkey. Or this coming weekend I have another turkey class down oh, okay. in uh, Santa Clara County. Okay. And it's, you're going to come there and we're going to talk about, first thing I always like to talk about is regulations because everybody's bright eyed, excited to be there. <laughs> and, and I want them to pay attention to the regulations so they don't get in trouble. We, we don't want people to violate yeah um so i spend some time we tell some funny game warden stories and um but then we get into the meat of the class and it's it's talking about uh like turkey biology mm-hmm. why do we need to know about turkey biology well if you think that turkeys live in brushland you're probably not going to see any turkeys yeah so we talk about turkey habitat we talk about turkey foods and you know the roosting and their, and their, their reproductive behavior and Things like that. So yeah. to give the hunter or the, the student a better understanding of turkey behavior. Yeah. And and then we, we do calling. We uh, give them a slate call or a box call and let them squawk on those and teach them just some of the basic calls, a yelp, a cut, a purr, something to get them started. And, and we, we, then we take them out. We're outside doing this because calls sound way better outside. Uh, show them turkey setups like mm-hmm. if you want to hunt out of a blind or if you want to hunt sitting next to a tree with some cover in front of you 
Uh, we talk about turkey hunting safety. Uh, turkeys, hunting turkeys has some safety considerations mm-hmm. uh, that people need to be aware of. And, and yeah. it's, it's still it's, it's one of the safest activities you could do in the, in the outdoors. Uh, but it's just some specific things to turkeys. Right. And uh, we do go look at turkey sign. We look at roost trees. We look at, uh, you know, if it's dry, we'll start seeing where they're dusting in the, the edges of roads generally, uh, where they're scratching on the ground, uh, like a turkey poop. Uh, and then we'll usually do some sort of game care, which usually will entail processing a turkey. Yeah. And we'll take the turkey from a turkey down to a plucked bird, down to a cut-up bird. Oh, really? And... So you do the whole process. The whole thing starts. We don't do the cooking. The, the idea for, for this program for me was that we'll, we'll provide the hunting side and then the cooking side in yeah. a different class. Yeah. Um, and, and that's for turkeys. Yeah. So it's uh, in almost every one of the advanced hunter ed classes is free to the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, very few of them we charge. There's a couple that we charge on. Not we, the instructors charge mm-hmm. uh, because these instructors are coming from a long distance. You got uh, to drive. Yeah, they drive and, and they're volunteers. Mm-hmm. So they, they can charge to recover their costs for the class. They're, they're not allowed to make a dime. Yeah. I mean, off, off your Hunter Ed, you know this, yeah. off your Hunter Ed program, volunteer instructors cannot have any profit yeah. at the end of the year. Yeah. So. So they charge just enough. Uh, I have a balance. Yeah, yeah, you ha- and you and you guys have to turn I have an in entire spreadsheet. Yeah. The whole so, thing. Uh, the instructors they they go out of the wash and and we so it's a nominal fee. It's it's a ten dollar fee for this turkey class next weekend, and that's because my instructor is driving mm-hmm. up from L.A. Mm-hmm. to come up and teach. You know, so he's driving three hundred something miles both ways, staying in a hotel. I mean, it's got some considerable cost. Yeah. And so, but $10 in the grand scheme of what you're getting out of the class, I, I think it's worth it. Right. And uh, we have the location we're doing next weekend is Kenyatta de las Osos Ecological Reserve. Mm-hmm. It's a Department of Fish and Wildlife owned property. Oh, wow. Uh, we offer hunts for juniors only mm-hmm. on this on this property. There's uh, turkey hunts. There's a couple of different pig hunts throughout the year. And there's also deer hunts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's people out here who are probably gonna hate me for saying this, but it's probably the one of the best deer hunts in the state. Uh, oh, really? Sixteen years, sixteen or seventeen years they've been running that hunt. Yeah, one hundred percent success rate. Oh, wow! So that's pretty good. Yeah, every that, single year. I mean, that's year. not bad. No, no, I, no. I, I'm not sure I can get any better. <laughs> no. um, it, it's it's a it's a phenomenal property, um, and we're gonna go there next weekend. And that's the, a junior hunt. And those are juniors only. All so, the hunts there are juniors only. Now this this will play into points and stuff like that, which we'll get into sure. in a bit. But so, how many points do you know? How many points that takes for a junior to draw? It's not even in the point draw. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not. It's not a point generated tag. It's just a special hunt opportunity. Oh, okay. So you don't even have to have a tag yet mm-hmm. to apply for it. Oh, really? You just have to have a tag before you go to the hunt. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, you put in for it through the special hunt program and. For Wait, juniors. For juniors. That's so cool. Yeah, it's a fantastic opportunity. And there's gosh, so many deer on that place. That I couldn't even imagine. And so that's all that's all legitimate blacktails, too. Because mm-hmm. that's all west True black of tails. I-5. Yeah, it's west of I-5, north of the Monterey County line, wherever they cut off the southern California or southern mule deer yeah. population. But yeah, as far as 
if you're going for Boone and Crockett, that's that's true Boone and Crockett deer country, really? black-tailed deer country. Yeah. So and it, I mean, it, I I think it's funny, and and I'm sure I'll get some sort of interesting commentary for it. But I've I've killed blacktail east of I five. Yeah. You know, a, a buck with a black tail, but I won't I won't call it a black tail because I just feel like where I what do you call it? The, well, I just call it a deer. It's a buck. Just a deer? Yeah, it's it's a buck. But because, I mean, for me, it's like, it's is it is it a mule deer? Is it a black tail? It's got, it's got mule deer head, but a black tail. Sure. Or, or a, it's got a mule deer tail and a, and a black tail rack, you know, and it's, or black tail ears. It's, I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. California is complicated. It, it, it's <laughs> if you're looking at record book stuff, yeah. it's relatively complicated. Yeah. But but at the same time, it's not. I mean, like the Boone and Crockett scale, they they have a hard line. Yeah, they and uh, the Safari Club, the SCI scale, they are they have their own uh, deer groups. Yeah, like California mule deer. Yeah, so basically any any deer. East of, East of I-5, of I-5 is it California west of the crest of the Sierra, something like that is considered a California mule deer. Oh, okay. Anything east of the crest is is a mule deer. Oh, something like I I, I really? don't quote okay. me on the border. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, they it's a little more broad. That, okay. And you're so you're gonna get a little more of that crossover, and you might kill a yeah uh, a giant uh, mule deer yeah west of that line and score this huge you know SCI score of a California mule deer when it's actually you know, a Rocky Mountain mule deer. Yeah. Because there is a little bit of overlap. Yeah. And, and you go spend any time on the west slope of the Sierras, if, if you start down low, some of those river bottom bucks, they mm-hmm. are blacktails. They look like blacktails. Yeah. And you go up up in elevation, and you start seeing the little bigger ears, the yeah. less black on the tail, yeah. keep going uphill, and you're starting to see nothing. But then you see a, a random deer, and like, that deer has got a full black tail. Yeah. It, it's it's genetics, man. It's yeah. just, who knows? It skips generations, whatever. Yeah, who it's, knows? Uh, so, I mean, if you're a trophy guy looking for a, a record, a mule deer buck out of California, you're probably not going to go to... El Dorado County. No. Because they're going to be, they're not going to qualify. You're not going to find one big enough to qualify as a mule deer buck generally. Yeah. And they're not going to be blacktails. So, yeah. uh, but we do have lots of public land to hunt deer on. Though. So you do a turkey seminar. You right. got a, or do you have any big game seminars coming up? What's I've a big got, game seminar? Yes. Yeah, so I've got two deer classes coming up in May. Mm-hmm. One down in San Luis Obispo County and one at Cañada de las Osos. Mm-hmm. Both of them, first two weeks of May. Uh, and they come open for registration on April 1st. Okay. So, if this gets out in time, well... We'll It'll get out in time. So, actually, they may have come open March 1st. March 1st. I'd have to look. But, uh, yeah, so, basically we, we do the same, kind of the same parameters. We do... Uh, regulations uh, that we do. Uh, I kind of try to tailor the class a little bit to where we're doing it, like on a deer uh-huh. class. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, like Kenyatta, it's it's blacktails. So we talk primarily about blacktails uh-huh. and blacktail habitat because it's yeah. right there. Yeah. And very easy to talk about. Uh, and we do, we uh, we spend a lot of time on the draw, uh-huh. the, the preference point draw and the, and the big game draw. Uh, it's, it's kind of this confusing thing when it, it shouldn't be it should be pretty simple yeah and but, we'll get into that too yeah yeah definitely so these 
yeah, we'll go through that. We'll go walk around. We'll look at deer sign. You know, deer don't leave a lot of sign. I mean, we're not hunting whitetails back east. Yeah. Uh, so our, our deer here in California, they will scrape trees. Uh, they generally don't do rubs, but they, or we don't find rubs, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and we're not hunting them during the rut, generally. Yeah. So it's not in our kind of hunting mentality here. But looking at tracks, looking at buck versus doe tracks, mm-hmm. uh, and, and glassing. Glassing is a big thing that we spent some time on. Yeah. And uh, so it's it, it, it's interesting. It, it's, we, we cover all this stuff. Um, and then we do game care. Yeah. And we'll actually, I, I, I acquire either poached deer that have been uh, with, with no suspect found or uh, ones that have been disposed from court and... You know, it can be destroyed. Yeah. Or uh, road kills that are in a relatively good condition. I, I don't want to use a, a, <laughs> a really plowed deer. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't do bode well for the class. So, yeah. Um, yeah, then we'll, we'll do blood trailing and we'll do the game care from gutting to skinning to time time dependent. We'll maybe break it down to cores. Yeah. And, and for a backpacking scenario. Okay. So I'm coming up for. May 18th, we were talking earlier, is right. we're going to do a blood tracking seminar and a, and a ground quartering seminar and, you know, skinning seminar, the whole the whole deal. Uh, and I'm actually really excited about it to, to help people understand better because if you're new, what's, what's your exposure? Right. What's your opportunity to actually get into being able to understand? Yeah, how do you do it? How do you cut back straps out of a deer? Or how, you know what it's, I mean? It's, uh, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos yeah. to try and fine tune my method and nothing beats hands-on experience. Yeah, so, that's it. I mean, I, I, there's a little tricks here and there that I've learned, but nothing that's like going to make or break a, you know, gutting or skinning of a deer. So, so what, what I've, what I've said for a while now is that I could take, like, a deer class. Yeah. I could take everything away from a class except the points and the game care, and people would be happy. Really? Because the points just are kind of confusing, unless you've been in it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and the game care is, I mean, where are you going to get that? Yeah. So all the <laughs> other stuff is kind of extra on top of those things. I. People really want those. That's what they're most excited about. The fact yeah. that they can get hands on and, you know, take a, a knife and, and skin that deer a little ways and then trade off. Well, so when you say game care, what do you, what is it specific? Are you talking about keeping the meat cold, cooling it off? Um, or what do, you, we, what do you... We do talk about that while we're doing this. Yeah. Or you, it, do you just mean the full process? Yeah. I mean, when, I, when I'm referring to game care, it's basically the the gutting through the skinning. Yeah. And... Uh, and then I have game processing classes, a totally separate class where uh-huh. we'll go from basically your skinned out deer, what you would take to a butcher yeah. at that point, or process it, your, process it yourself, and to packaged meat. Oh, wow. So what, in January, we had a pig pro- uh, a game processing class. We used wild pigs. Yeah. So we had did that down in, uh, in Compton and all, all places. Uh-huh. There's a fantastic facility down there. That, How cool is that? Yeah, it's right in the middle of Compton. It's on, You would never think it's there. Yeah. It's the Compton Hunting and Fishing Club. Yeah. They're big supporters of us. Uh, do a bunch of classes there. So we had pigs. What a great and, place to do yeah. it, too. Right. It, it's... The, the city centers are, are a big 
source of my students. Yes. Yeah. Bay Area and the Los Angeles Basin. Yeah. Are huge. Just they just pump out students to my classes. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So yeah, I mean, so we do kind of take this in steps. Yeah. You know, get to where they can process it, and then in another class we'll actually process animals from full animals, you know, full yeah. carcass to packaged meat. Oh wow. And yeah, so hopefully to build the confidence that hey, this is not I can a do mystery. This. You can absolutely do this well, at see, home with a knife and some Ziploc bags at the bare minimum or a vacuum pack. And that's actually something that I, I really like you bring that up because how many people want to get into hunting and are intimidated, intimidated. by right. having how do you take the you know, how do you take the guts out, yep. reach up to the esophagus and cut and reach all the way back and you know, pull everything out. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And the fact that there is hands-on classes that will not only teach that, but visually, which goes back to what we were talking about earlier, visually show, yeah. you know, how to take care of this and, and what they need to do. And Well, it's that whole adult learning theory. Yeah. You know, hey, look, I'm going to tell you we're going to talk about game care, mm -hmm. and we're going to go do game care. Yeah. And it's, we're going to, you know, educate them, then we're going to reinforce it, and hopefully they're going to walk away from that and say... Wow, I, I think I could go shoot a Maybe deer I myself, could go right? do this myself now. Because, I mean, there there probably isn't a game warden in the state that, in their patrol time in a in a deer district or in a deer hunt area, yeah, where they haven't come across somebody who has shot a deer, and been like, I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, pulling the trigger is the easy part. Right. It's, it's I love when people after. think that pulling the trigger is the hard part. No, that's the <laughs> easiest part. That's the easiest part. Yeah. It's the work button. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a that's, very good way to work button. I like yeah, that. Yeah, it's. I mean, one of my buddies would always tell me, he's like, you know, pulling the trigger is easy, but it's pushing the work button. Right. That's right. that's when the work starts because it's exactly it that. Then you got to, like, you know, figure out are you going to do this gutless or are you going to gut it or, you know, and and do you, do you have a preference between if you're going to ground court or something, doing a gutless or... or Keeping so the only animals I've ever it? done gutless on are elk. Uh -huh. I, I don't, I, I, I just and bull elk at that for yeah. that matter. I mean, yeah. I just I will literally just lop off the quarter and carry it out. And yeah, it's so to do it the gutless thing. It's, I'm sorry, I don't want to fight with the guts. Yeah, I'm just gonna yank them out. Yeah, and open it up. It's one you're gonna do a couple of things, and I, this is no the gutless has its places, <laughs> uh, has its place, but by removing that. Especially on a bigger animal like an elk, you're you are removing all of the bacteria mm -hmm. out of that carcass, assuming you don't nick the stomach or the intestines or something. But you're removing all that bacteria out of the way, away from what will ultimately be exposed meat. Yeah, you don't want to contaminate your meat with any of that bacteria. At so all. why not just move it off yeah. and get it out of the way? Yeah, and then. You're not having to push the gut pile to try and get to those tenderloins on the inside. It's just yeah. you're, you're fight. I think you're fighting less. It's effective once you are comfortable doing it. Yeah, it's very effective and it can be fast. Yeah, for the new hunter, I highly recommend against it. Learn how to get. You are first. gonna you are gonna ruin meat by more than once trying to probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so a deer, I I would say gut it. You're gonna start the cooling process immediately. Yeah. by opening up that cavity and ultimately. Better quality meat yeah. because it's cooling off faster. Yeah, um, deer and elk are very forgiving. Well, deer, deer are forgiving. Elk yeah. not so much as due to size, um, but deer are pretty forgiving. I mean, they're 
they're running at, I don't know, 100 degree body temperature. Mm-hmm. And unless you're hunting an A zone, um, in archery season, during, I guess even during rifle, rifle season, season yeah. you're you know a lot of times you're pushing 100 degrees. Yeah, especially if you go inland a little bit. Your that deer is you know if you're hunting when it's 60 out, that deer is going to be cooling down if you remove those guts. Yeah. but if you keep those guts in there, it's going to stay warm. It there's still that bacterial process going on in there that's generating heat, mm-hmm. and the the temperature of the deer will actually go up. Yeah, so why not? get all that out right and just start that big cooling process and something one of my buddies my buddy kyle he talks about what he does you know and he brings his game bags right but in his game bags he'll throw in a a 50 gallon trash bag or you know a couple trash bags so he'll quarter up his animal he'll put the meat in the in his game bags and then he'll put the game bags in a trash bag and then he'll put the trash bags in a creek Okay. Right? And tie them off completely. Yep. Because now the meat is underwater and it's completely cooling off. Right. And I never even thought about that before. And I was like, man, that's a really good way on a hot, like, A zone. Right. If if you're lucky enough to have a flowing, cool creek. Yeah, if you're around water. (laughs) I guess there's not much of that. Well, I mean, sometimes, but, you know. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, you could do that. Yeah. And that's a quick cool, you know, to get it down. I wouldn't leave it in there. Because. Still got to hang it and dry it. Inevitably, inevitably, some condensation, something's going to get in that bag. And, you know, one of the premises of game care, you don't want to get heat, dirt, and moisture on yeah. your on your game. Yeah. So, yeah, cool it off, but then put it back, hang it up. And, dry it out. And let it air dry, get that nice crust on it. Yeah. And you'll be able to, your, your meat quality is going to be much, much better. That good old glaze. Get the glaze is what it's called. <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah, as far as which method, I teach is just straight gut method. I, there's always a student in my class that has, has watched, you know, countless YouTube videos yeah. and seeing this gutless method. Like, what about the gutless method? Yeah. I say, well, that's it. I, I explain it, but I don't do it. Yeah. I don't teach them because yeah. I don't think the majority of my students aren't ready for the gutless method. Yeah. And well, I, and I like how you said it. That's probably for more in the field more experienced maybe you've gutted a few animals sure you know it's not impossible but yeah. it's it definitely takes better technique for sure to, to do it for sure uh, so i like removing the the bacteria situation out completely, completely. just get it out and get, get it, away. it away and then if you need to <laughs> one if you need to move the animal a little bit move it around you know, point the head up and so you can drain anything yeah uh, i mean it's a lot easier to move uh an animal without that gut pile, yeah. guts in it, mm-hmm. and I mean, if you're looking at it weighs a, bull, a lot less. Yeah, if you're looking at a bull elk or something, you're probably not going to move it even yeah. gutted. But it's uh, you know cow elk. Yeah, you've got a cow elk, you can move cow elk around a little yeah. bit, at least get in position. Well, like my bull, I shot this year in Montana. You know, I I got it all the way up, or I I cut it, you know, from its groin all the way up sure. to its neck, cut everything out of it, and then after I was done, it was too late you know at night to really do anything that i felt comfortable doing sure. so i moved the carcass i was actually able thank god i was on the downhill and there was there snow go. but i was able to move the gutted carcass down prop it open to really start the cooling process packed it with snow uh-huh. to keep it overnight you know mind you it was 10 degrees out or did you know that snow you packed in there probably kept it from freezing 
mm-hmm. harder. It probably insulated it a little bit. Yeah. Because you don't generally don't want that meat to freeze in the yeah. field. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, in that point, yeah, packing it with snow, pointing that that vent, you know, the butt downhill. Yeah. So anything that does melt is going to drain out. Drain out. Then you're you're going to be golden. Yeah. Definitely. You know, but right on. So moving from the topics that you cover and advanced hunters education. Something else you brought up, and you kind of talked about it just a little bit right now through the junior opportunity, which we'll get into, is is um, draws, sure, and draw points, and and kind of how to navigate through the draw in California, because I can understand how it could maybe be complicated sure. for some people, or you know, what's the difference between a um, a general tag, you know, and, and a restricted tag or a premium tag? Yeah, because right. now we do have restricted tags yep. in the state of California. I didn't even think that we should discuss that, but <laughs> we do have restricted tags. And, and honestly, I have to think about it. Yeah, you know, before I, I don't just discuss it in plain, you know, yeah. talk because I'm like, wait, what is a restricted tag? Right, it it is a lot, but there there are some there's some things that. I cover in my class that I think are key for the draw. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we, the draw is, you know, the explanation for the draw. Should we do that? Explain yeah. the, why why do we have a draw? Oh, why, absolutely. Why we're we gonna, have preference points? We're going to go over the whole oh, thing. Oh, right. Cool. So yeah. so here in California, we have uh, the big game draw. And and basically, why why do we have a draw? It's because there's, there's more people that want the tags then there are tags available mm-hmm. so the draw is a, a way we can fairly distribute these tags to people yeah so that's just a flat draw um, no preference points include just a flat draw would be you put your name in a hat and if your name gets drawn you get a tag if your name doesn't get drawn you don't get a tag yeah uh, and there's other states like Idaho doesn't have a preference point system and everybody has the exact same chance of being drawn every single year. Same with New Mexico. And New Mexico has that. Yeah. So that's not what we have in California. <laughs> we have a modified preference point system in mm-hmm. California. A true preference point system would be all tags get that get drawn are drawn by preference points. So you Only. you know with a reasonable amount of certainty how many points it's going to take you to get drawn for a particular tag. Mm-hmm. California, we give 90% of tags to preference point holders mm-hmm. and 10% to random. But let's talk about preference point first, I think. Yeah. Um, so what's what's a preference point? A preference point is you get a preference point when you apply for a premium deer tag on your first deer tag application for your first choice. Yeah. So... For example, a premium zone would be like, say, the Devil's Garden muzzleloader hunt. Which is prolific. M9 or M4, one of those M hunts, right? The muzzleloader, M for muzzleloader. Um, You put that down on your first deer tag application. Now, you can buy two deer tag applications. One's going to be called the first deer tag application. One's going to be called the second deer tag application. So let's not even talk about the second deer tag. Just your first deer tag, the first one you have to buy. <laughs> You're going to have three choices yeah. for tags. First choice, second choice, third choice. Your first choice has to be a premium zone. Uh-huh. And in our big game digest that will be coming out shortly, yeah, uh, it'll break all the zones down by premium, restricted, and general. 
Mm-hmm. So your first choice, whether you're going to go hunt or not, should be either a point only or a premium zone. Yeah. So that way, if you don't get drawn, you at least get your preference. Now, premium by premium zone, you mean an X zone? An X zone, uh, uh, a muzzleloader hunt, a you know an M hunt, uh, an archery, some of the archery only hunts. Yeah. Um, and this is all specifically for deer. And this is yeah for deer and yeah. and elk. Pronghorn antelope and bighorn sheep, desert bighorn sheep, all have preference point systems as well. Inside themselves. Inside themselves. As a species. For those you only get, if you apply and you don't get drawn, you get a point. Yeah. It's none of this first choice. It's one, you get one zone to choose from on those. Yeah, exactly. So they're very, they're very clear. But the deer, it's your first choice on your first deer tag application that you need to apply for a premium tag. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if you want to apply for X1. Mm-hmm. That's a premium zone. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say you get it. Great. You get it. Um, if you don't get it, you get a preference point. And that point carries over to the next year. Yeah. A point is not zone specific. So if you've applied for X1 for five years and you haven't gotten it yet, you can change to X2 after five years and your points are going to carry over to x2 and maybe get it and you might get it they're yeah. they're not zone specific yeah. so uh whatever you can change every single year and not be drawn and still gain a point every single just year. whatever you do don't build up a bunch of points and then put a general tag as your first choice so if Will you that put it burn your no no oh, okay. no, no, no 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 it won't so if you if you apply for a premium tag and well, you know what? I'm gonna have to. I God, that's a good question. I've never been asked that question. Yeah, my my gut is saying no. You're not gonna use your points on D three through five uh, if you put that as your first choice. Or a B zone or yeah, a C zone. I, yeah, my my gut is telling me no. Maybe that's for part two. We'll come back and do a correction on that one. Right. So the uh, yeah. So you you apply, you get a point. Uh, if you don't get drawn, you get your point. Yeah, those points will build year after year after year until you get drawn for that. I believe premium tag only. Yeah, um, and then your points are gone, and you're back to zero. When you get drawn for the after zone. you get drawn for for your zone, and that's the point system. In, in, a, in a just quickly now this year, I think we have 18 preference points because we've been doing a point system for about 18 years. And so the way the draw works, if there's 100 tags available for a zone and there's 10 people that have maximum preference points, 18, they're all going to get drawn. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to go down to 17. And if there's 20 people that have 17 points, they're all going to get drawn. Because they're holding priority with the amount of points. Right. So, so 90% of those tags, so 90 out of those 100 tags are going to go to the top preference point holders mm-hmm. now until you get to a point where you're like say eight points and maybe there's five tags left but there's ten people with eight points then the random numbers everybody's given a random number those random numbers are are, are pulled and that's who gets the the uh, the tags yeah and the other people even though they have the same amount of points they'll they won't get a roll tag. over to the next year right they'll just get they'll gain a point and they'll move on to next year um, anybody who didn't get drawn is also in the random draw. Mm-hmm. So 
ten percent of those tags go to random. Basically, yeah. you have the same chance as everybody else. Yeah. To get drawn, and that's what I tell people with with zero points or zero or way less than um, than max is you put in. There's a chance you can get drawn. Yeah. I mean, when I was drawn for Tulio, one of the other guys that got drawn, he had no points. Oh, really? He got the random tag. Really? And he Where'd you get drawn for Tulio? Laponza. Nice. So, it's uh, yeah. I mean, there's always a chance, and I, you know, I was I always put that quote on uh, on my presentation about the draw. You know, so you're telling me there's a chance, right? <laughs> we all know what movie that came from, so I'm not even gonna say it. But uh, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> so there's there's a chance, and some zones have you have a better chance than others. I mean, I think the numbers like. If you had less than max points putting in for Goodale, you had about a one one in nine hundred chance of being drawn. Yeah. In the random hunt. Um, so, but what I tell people is, you like for the elk, antelope, and sheep tags. If you have zero points, why not put in for a tag with one tag? There's no preference points needed used on that. Yeah. Everybody has the same chance. Yeah. So, so one or let one tag. There's no preference points coming to play. If there's two tags, one of those tags will go to preference points, and the other tag will go to random. So up to, I think, f anything above four, then, well, yeah. So if there's three tags, two will go to preference points, one will go to random. Four, three will go to, to preference points, one will go to random. Yeah. So my, my point is about this whole preference point thing, first deer tag... First choice has to be a premium yeah. or point only. There's yeah. a PO option you can put on there for point only. If you do know you're not going to be able to go hunt X12 this year like you want to, you put PO as your first choice, and then you put D3 through 5 as your second choice, Yeah, and you'll get your D3 through 5 tag, but you'll also get your point. Or you could for that, and this is where we can bring up restricted, sure. you could put in for your D6 yeah, or your B zone. Or is, is C-Zone restricted now? Or is C-Zone on the verge of being restricted? I can't remember uh, right C's now. restricted. Is it restricted? Yeah, I'm pretty sure C's restricted for the general hunt. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure it is. Okay. I have to look. It may be now. Yeah. Right? Because it changes if you're... If the tags are sold out by... Prior to August 1st. Prior to August 1st. Yeah. Then for two years in a row, then the tag becomes restricted. Yeah. Uh, from a general tag which is so funny to me when it happened with B-Zone what two years ago oh it's crazy everybody kind of like went into some panic mode and it was so funny because there was so many rumors that I heard about oh here we go PETA buying all of the <laughs> yeah. tags for California and, and and all of this stuff and I was like and I, my argument to that with people was like okay so what you're telling me is that PETA is hiring people to go through Hunter's Education yep. And they're all going through Hunter's Education. And not only that, they're all passing. And then they're buying... Well, then they're buying a license. 10,000 tags? Right. Then they're buying a license. Yeah. Then they're buying a tag. Yeah. And, I mean... Just to sell it the, out? The logistics behind it... And make it more it, difficult to... Right. Hunt. The logistics behind it just uh, aren't there. I think what you're seeing, and I have no proof, this is all anecdotal, is I think you're seeing people who want a longer 
hunting season. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. So you're seeing you're seeing hunters buy an A tag and a B tag, or buying or, two B tags, or buying two B tags. Well, not only that, but with with the promotion and and I don't want to say glorification, but glorification that everybody's on for the last five years of making the backcountry so much right. better and more bountiful. How many people want to hike ten miles into the backcountry? tag out on their second day yeah and then be done and then be done right. so now all those people and say if it's seven guys to a camp well that's probably 14 tags yeah. going in for that 10 day Absolutely. period you yeah know? if you're going to be in there why not take a chance of killing two bucks exactly so it, it, it it's because it's, in our state we offer two tags we, you can get two deer tags Absolutely. in california yeah. and uh so there there had to be a lot of things that happened without anybody hearing any whisper of uh, <laughs> a, a grand plan by an anti-hunting group to purchase all of the tags go through hunter education <laughs> buy hunting licenses i mean i'm pretty sure i would have noticed seeing them come through i, I so. think somebody would have i think we would have caught on at some point mm-hmm. um you know, and if they want to do that and go buy hunting licenses, you know, that's going to help us towards uh, federal funding. Well, you know so. what? Not only that, but how many people get pissed off because how many hunters are on the mountain? There's too many guys that's, hunting. That's the other way. So to you're going to tell it. me that if 6,000 people bought tags and they're not out there Aren't hunting, hunt? that's 6,000 6, people, people that are not woods. on the mountain. That competition goes <laughs> down. It goes way down. Not only that, the herds will start they, going. They know. will, because take is pretty consistent yeah. through, throughout the years. So yeah. Um, it, it's yeah, it's highly unlikely that that there <laughs> I just had to bring issue. it up. No, I always, it, it always find it so funny when people want to talk about it's that. and that's that's just typical. It's human nature. It's gossip. Yeah. It's uh, conspiracy. Conspiracy. Everybody theories. loves a good conspiracy. Um, you know, I, <laughs> it, 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 you know, it's only gonna work. It, it's only gonna work against in, in against their mission. Yeah. as the anti hunting groups, because what you're gonna show is that uh, the take is lower yeah. and. So maybe more opportunity is going to go in there. Yeah. So, because California in, in most zones are opportunity zones. Yeah. So if less people are taking deer, we might offer more tags. Yeah. Because knowing that, hey, we need to take a certain number of deer to reach our uh, population goals. Mm-hmm. And if we might up the tags to 60,000 to, to reach those goals, knowing that the take... That only two percent of hunters can actually kill deer. Yeah, so it, it will probably work against that that, yeah. that argument in the long run. Right. But and we don't want to see that. We you know we we as hunters. I mean, we, the, we don't want to just keep butting heads with the anti-hunting group. Yeah. Um. It, it, we want we need to do a better job promoting what we're doing, why we're doing it, mm-hmm. and. We'll bridge that gap. And, and try and bridge that gap. earlier, too. Right. You know? It's... We we want to see healthy wildlife populations as much, if not more, than anti-hunting groups. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh, and I'm not sure where where their their opinions are coming from, if it's the, the kill part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we just need... We're out there for the same goal. Healthy yeah. wildlife populations. Right. And, well, and I think... Part of it's going to come from breaking down the barrier of yeah. people 
Um, I don't know about treating, but thinking that all hunters are Elmer Fudd. You right. know what I mean? And, and Perception. The perception, thank you. Right. You know, and changing that perception. And, and obviously, there's always things that we as hunters can do. Absolutely. To, to help change the perception. And, um, maybe put a better message across the board. Um, but... You know, who knows where it's all going to be. Yeah, how do we do that? How do I we mean, do that? Where's, are you going to see... You're not going to see billboards right. of, uh, you know, of a grip and grin picture yeah. up on well, I-80. I, So let's talk... I mean, let's talk about the grip and grin because I've heard so much recently. There's like... I'm, I'm hearing controversy of the, of the grip and grin and right. people are saying, oh, the grip and grin is, is, a, is, a, is a terrible photo and... and you know, and this and that and the other thing, and for me, it's like when I when I've taken a grip and grin, which I do with almost every single animal sure. that I kill or harvest that I take, however you want to state it. Um, but the reason why I, I I do it is because, and it's something that you and I've talked about already, is the amount of time, effort, and energy that goes into the right. field, whether it be scouting, glassing, or yeah. or whatever. Whereas for most of us as hunters, if we post something on social media with a grip and grin, our storyline for the picture isn't necessarily, man, I spent 36 days scouting, you know, hundreds of dollars on trail cameras, you know, gas, food, gear, I guess thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Your price per pound is way higher than you You know what I mean? And, and, And... Maybe we have a better way that we can convey the message behind what a grip sure. and grin represents. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, you're absolutely right. And the, you know, my my argument against the grip and grin, I do the same thing. I take pictures. I, I'm not a huge social media guy. Yeah. So I, I don't have I don't I, I don't post anything on any kind of social media site. Yeah. So, and, and I'm not saying that's negative in itself, but I think it's being used against us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is kind of one of my standard responses about hunting videos being put on uh you know any of the online media sources is if you think of the i mean we all can sit here and go like man how did that law get passed how did people not realize where that law came from yeah well people just make decisions based on emotion a lot of times Mm -hmm. Now, you post a video of, and and I'm not gonna, I'm not knocking this, but in uh, from out of the state, mm-hmm. something that is legal in any other state but California, mm-hmm. and there these groups will use videos of that illegal activity. Mm-hmm. Even though it's totally lawful, totally ethical, it's just not legal in California. Yeah. And use it in California against against you. the you know, the lawful hunting activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and my my best example would be archery bear hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of videos out there about archery bear hunting, you know, with bears being shot over bait. Yeah. And archery is a done right is a very effective way of hunting mm-hmm. um, a lot less stressful to the animal a lot of times the animal doesn't even know they're hit mm-hmm. uh, bears tend to react 
uh, differently than a lot of other animals. So when, when a hunter shoots a bear legally over a bait pile, very selective way of hunting bears, mm-hmm. they, the, a lot of times that bear will, will spin around in circles and make a bunch of noise. They're a vocal animal, and, and then the, the bear will expire quickly. Yeah. It's not that it's taking minutes, but if you string multiple videos together, it looks like it takes minutes. Yeah. And even though we don't allow hunting over bait in yeah. California, we do allow archery bear hunting. Yeah. And that tool could be used against us, even though it has nothing to do with bear hunting in California. Yeah. So um, that's my argument against the, the videos being put online. The popularity so they're gonna, of they're gonna be social used, media yeah, hunting. Yeah, they're going to be used against us eventually. And we're the ones posting them because it's not like we're bragging, oh, look at this bear spinning around. Oh, it's writhing in pain. That's not what's happening. <laughs> it's, it, it's not. It, I'm it's, only laughing because no, it's so ludicrous that a hunter would post something like that. Right. That it makes me laugh. Yeah, they're not doing it because of that. Yeah. They're doing it like, hey, look, I got this big giant bear. Yeah. Um, and we understand as hunters as that hunters. that's part of the process. That's right. And uh, Whether it's archery or rifle. Right. So that that's could be used against us at some point in time. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't want to see that. So mm-hmm. that's where the understanding comes in the, of these different methods of take that we have and why we have them. Um, so... We need to do a better job ourselves. Yeah. We need to start. We can't expect other people to agree with us if we don't start with ourselves. Yeah, it's it's that simple. Housekeeping. So housekeeping. Yeah. Yeah. So we button it down, and uh, <laughs> you know, share it. Make your stuff private. Don't put things on YouTube. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, I get it. It's cool. You want to show off. You you know, show your friends. Whatever. Show the world. Yeah. I get it. But at some point, we're gonna have to. To pay come the back piper. On that. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, and if it's going to happen, it's going to happen here. Really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I think California. It'll happen is, here first, right? Yeah, California yeah. leads in a lot of aspects. Leads the rest of the country in a lot in of a lot of the ways. laws. And, yeah, in a lot of ways. So, yeah. and you can't fault Californians. You call it progressive. Yeah, call it whatever you want. Yeah. but it's it's the truth. It's a hell of a place to live. Though. That's a great place to live. I mean, I love it. Yeah. I yeah. wouldn't change it at all. So back to yeah, yeah. restricted. Oh, where are we at? We're back drops. on deer tags. Back to deer tags. <laughs> so yeah, restricted zone. So any zone, uh, basically restricted tags. You could use your first first deer tag on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't use your second deer tag on them until after August fifteenth. Fifteenth. If there's any leftover, yeah, and that's basically if it. they didn't sell out. So there's there's more demand for the restricted tags, but not as much for the as the premium tags. Yeah, kind of. it's a scale of demand, I mm-hmm. guess you would call it. Uh, and yeah, so there's there's a few. There's not a ton of restricted zones. Uh, I believe I believe C is restricted. Some of the uh, D six is, is restricted. restricted. Yeah, it's not a bunch. B. Is B restricted now? B is restricted, yeah. Awesome. Unless it came off, which I don't. Yeah, I don't I'll know. find we'll out when I go to my Ukiah conference. Uh, I'm not sure you'll find out then. You'll find out before, probably. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, the, the Big Game Digest will be out in the next couple weeks. I think they were supposed to do a walkthrough today of the Draft Digest. Oh, so cool. So it should be coming out relatively quick. I mean, oh, It's wow. got to go to the printer and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, 
it, it'll be out soon. Okay. Before the April 15th, um, where you can start putting in for your deer draws. So, for someone that wants to draw an X zone tag, and they have a few points. Yep. Is there anywhere on the DFW website that they can go to to look at the prior years? Yeah. How many applicants there were? So that information is all readily available. Yeah, it's on a, DFW's and that, and that, website. Big Game Digest I keep referring to. Yeah. So if which you, is the book that comes out? Which is yeah, which will be coming out in the next, hopefully within the next month. So before we dive into that, if someone wanted to get that book shipped to them, is there a place they could go to sign up and have it sent? I think. I don't know if you can go sign up for it, uh-huh. but it's online. I okay. Mean, so I. So know. when it's done, it'll right. be ready. Yeah, online. it'll it'll be it'll be Available. online before it comes out in paper. Okay. So it, it'll be posted up online on our hunting webpage. Uh, just if you click on hunting on the from the homepage, it'll be right there. Okay. Um, you know, 2019 Big Game Digest yeah. available now available. Um, but if you like me and you like flipping through the paper magazine. You you gotta wait a little bit and get it from your regional office first. If you applied for a deer tag last year, it will get sent to you. Uh-huh. Uh huh. If they continue with that. Okay. So yeah, in that is a ton of good information. I mean, but let's let's. I think the easiest thing to do is let's pick a specific zone. So like you want to say like X six A. Yeah. Or X seven A or any any of the X zones. So if you have some points and you want to get drawn, if you're not being particular about the zone you want, if you maybe you have a family cabin in X6A and you want to wait for that, you're going to have to wait for X amount of years. Yeah. Well, how do you know how many years you're going to have to wait? Yeah. So if you, there's one page in the Big Game Digest that looks at, uh, and there's a title for it that I can't remember at this point, but, uh, you know, I think I have that one. So... You, you go to this page, and it talks about uh, demand for uh, each zone. And it'll say how many tags were available, mm-hmm. how many tags went to preference points, yeah, preference point holders, so that 90%. How many, and then it'll say what how many max point applicants applied. So how many people, 17 points applied last year yeah. for this particular zone. And it'll say how many tags went to max point applicants. Well, sometimes not all the people get tags are max point applicants. Yeah. And so it'll go down from 17, 16, 15, Well, 14, then you can look because I, I know for me I always would – I print it out off uh-huh. of the DFW website. I print out the chart that breaks down from max points all the way down to no points. Yep. And how many people are putting in because I'll sit there and I'll highlight the zones that I want to hunt. And what the max point is, and all the way down to what was the lowest point that got it, and then how many random draw tags. And right. Yeah. So you're you're looking at your key one to look at is that lowest point value awarded tag. Yeah. So that is based on last year's numbers because people change their mind and start putting it in for other zones. Yeah. Especially if they see. Well, that you get point creep in other and zones. And you get point creep and, and say last year someone saw someone shoot a monster right. buck and or, or you, you look know. at the success rates yeah. in the zone and they bumped up. So you then you like, get Whoa. point creep and yeah. you know instead of maybe it only taking five points, you know now it's going right. to take seven points or something but, like that. But it's the best way to yeah. uh, go like, hey, it's going to take me. Five points to get an X6A tag. Yeah. I've got three. 
Okay, mm -hmm. let me look. I really want to go hunt this year in an X zone. So you're going to look at down the line of X zones and say, hey, X1 had, you only needed two points to get X1 last mm -hmm. year. I'm going to put in for that. Yeah. And that's how you can effectively use your points. And it'll, it'll kind of change. I mean, Because maybe this will be the year that you can take a week off to out, go hunt. Exactly. And you want to spend yeah. that week in a zone. Yep. You know, in a better zone. Maybe it's closer to you, or maybe it's maybe it's a equally as good trophy bucks, but it's a little bit more difficult hunting, so sure. less people are putting in Absolutely. for it. Absolutely. Yeah, all those factors are going to come into play, but the easiest thing to look at is that lowest point value awarded tag. Mm -hmm. And if you have more points than that, chances are pretty good you're going to draw that tag that, yeah. the, the current year. Yeah. And that's, that's, so that's what I tell people. After you get some points built up, just apply. And can you get super lucky and draw an X tag for five years in a row? Absolutely. You yeah. absolutely can. Yeah. Uh, so, it, because we give 10% of tags to random. Yeah. And people are lucky. There yeah. There are lucky people out people, there. Not people are guy. super lucky. So, yeah, people are super lucky with the draw. And when it comes to the draw, I, I would love, I would die to get drawn for an X tag. Over and over and over oh, absolutely. and over again. Yeah. Every single year. There are guys that uh, get it done every year. It, that blows my mind. Yeah. They're extremely One day. Lucky. One day, right? We'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> um, so going further into the draw system, right. um, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, which was sheep tags, elk tags, antelope tags. Yep. Um, and I know that what you were saying is you put in for that one tag. There is no first, second, or third yep. choice. You just put in for the one tag. You either get it or you don't. Yep. Um, so how long would you say? Because I feel like sheep and elk are... Sheep's probably a little bit more difficult Definitely. to get. Yeah. Because there's less tags. Far less tags. I mean, we're only um, talking... Well, we just had a cheap die off in one of the units yeah I, doubt they'll be I was down there unit. earlier this year and I I mean I saw the sheep yeah. before they got sick and then the next thing I heard and got was pictures right. of sheep Bunch dead, of dead left sheep. and right yeah. it's so insane there probably won't be a hunt in that unit this year I mean, yeah I can't say for sure but dude, I, just, I just don't see it do they know what the cause it's I mean probably pneumonia and yeah. how would you say that they're getting pneumonia it's, is that like domestic sheep yeah. getting in there and yeah, rubbing I, noses yeah, and was, water supplies was, and infecting them yeah uh, yes and no I mean I was talking to uh, one of our vets and I asked him specifically about the sheep that that die off I guess what what caused it and he's he's like well we're pretty sure pneumonia yeah um, but you know we, we haven't got the test results back yet at the time and they, I asked him, I go, man, that, that herd, I, I said to him, that herd is fairly isolated. Mm -hmm. um, you know, did some just random sheep wander up there and, and, you know, infect the herd? And his thoughts were, there is movement out of that herd to other herds. Yeah. So I, I wasn't aware of that. Um, they moved down. This is the San Gregonio herd that we're talking about. Um, there are sheep that move down out of the San Gregonios and and cross paths with other sheep from other herds. Mm -hmm. So whether a sheep, you know, maybe they met up in the middle somewhere and infected each other because we have had outbreaks of pneumonia um, within the last few years as well in other uh, yeah. sheep herds. So 
it's very possible it went that way. Are they yeah. breaking boundaries? Well, yeah, they're moving <laughs> on, right? Looking for greener pastures, I guess. But in the desert, uh, yeah, in the desert. <laughs> the, uh, so it, it's it's safe to say that it probably was pneumonia. That's usually yeah. what causes these big die-offs. Yeah. Um, and can you hunt feral sheep in California without a tag? Yeah. Just make sure that it's a feral sheep. Yeah, on public land, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's granted we're not going to be uh, on the national forest. Yeah, uh, you know, on the east side where there's actually guys that have run sheep on national forest land. Yeah. So I highly recommend against it. Yeah. Um, it's uh, supposedly there's feral cattle herds running around in the mountains, uh, a couple of areas on the west slope, and uh, people ask, like, "Can we shoot them?" I'm like, "No." You know, it could be somebody's property. Maybe they just haven't branded it yet. Yeah. It's still their property. Yeah. And there are cattle leases on National Forest. Yeah. So I, I, I highly recommend against it. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It's just, just in case. Just in case. I mean, you shoot somebody's cow, that's felony. That, yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a serious crime. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's basically, I mean, theft, if you really want to look at it, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's cattle wrestling, I guess. Yeah. It's uh, it's not stealing cattle, really. I mean, but it is. You're technically stealing from a cattle rancher. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that's felony. Yeah. So we don't we don't recommend it. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I I had a couple buddies that were down there hunting those sheep, sending me videos, and you can just see the rams coughing. Yeah. And see the sheep coughing and sending me pictures of. You know, they're trying to find these rams that we're looking at, you know, two, three months prior to the hunt. And they're all just like, it's not like they fell and died. They're just laying there and they die. Yeah, they're very susceptible to it. It's totally crazy. It's very similar to when Europeans came over, uh, you know, during the colonial days and you know, started interacting with the Native Americans. So yeah. They, the Europeans had far more diseases than the Native Americans did. They yeah. They were very susceptible to it. So yeah. kind of a similar thing going on. And yeah. I mean, it, it's unfortunate. And, you know, we try to avoid it, but things happen, man. And we, right. have, to, we have to roll with the punches. Right. So, And that's part of wildlife management and conservation. And, and, and you, you know, what you guys have to do is limit the tags and in that circumstance and especially with sheep that means no hunting in that unit until it recovers right so you're going to have uh you know and it's it's more than that too it's more than just uh, the harvest of sheep i mean you have uh guides down there that Mm -hmm. that's their livelihood is guiding the sheep hunters because the sheep hunts are generally a a difficult hunt yeah and and they rely on those tags and the clients to uh you know, to feed their family. So yeah. that's just one or one or two more tags that are probably aren't going to be offered this year. So it, it's it's bigger than, I mean, it's bad with the sheep, but it's bigger too. Yeah. When you really break it down. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, as far as back to the thing, how many, how long would it take to, to draw a sheep tag or an elk tag or an antelope tag? Totally depends on which unit you're planning yeah. for. Uh, like my dad, for him to draw his elk tag for California, he drew a 305 tag. Took him, I think, the better part of thirty-two years. Oh wow! So, so he was. That's, you're talking putting long in, before putting in system. prior to points, right? So and not getting it, and then yeah, because we've had them I mean, now the point system for eighteen years, yeah. and it's so uh, there's a lot of people that are still at max points, yeah, and uh, for all species, yeah. So 
if you look at the breakdown of points, there are some tags you can get drawn for. Like there's some you know, archery elk tags that are much easier to draw and take far fewer points than, mm-hmm. say, Grizzly Island Bull. Yeah. It's, it, Grizzly Island Bull is still thousands of people that put in for that tag every year yeah. because they're giant Thule elk bulls on Grizzly Island. Yeah. And I wish they'd open up a point raise season. Oh, yeah. <laughs> National Seashore, um, and it's probably not going to happen. Ever. Um, so there's a lot of really nice elk out there, yeah. there's uh, elk, The elk are very, doing very well in California. Yes. So they're well, pop- the, And talk about a conservation plan that has worked yep. for the state. Yeah, absolutely. You look at the tule elk herds, what? Like, right. it's crazy. Yeah, you, tule elk are, are another success story. I, I'm not sure what the number was when what they dwindled down to after the gold rush days but yeah. uh, they were down to uh, near minimal extinction. numbers yeah, yeah very very low in their population and there were some remnant herds that were protected and uh, were allowed to propagate and relocated uh, into new areas and uh, our, our department along with some of the nonprofits like Rocky Mountain Elk moved elk around to, to mix up the genetics mm-hmm. to keep the elk from uh, a lot of the in, inbreeding stuff yeah um, and now when Thule elk are they're not back in all of their historic range but yeah in big chunks of it and they're doing really really well yeah and uh, I mean when I had that Laponza tag we would see hundreds of elk on yeah. that tag when I had that hunt yeah and that that's just one small portion of that zone. Yeah, there's there's elk all over the place. Well, so and not not to open up a tule elk can of worms, you know. So, but I know right now there there's huge debate with the point raise herd. Just that's mm-hmm. I love that herd. I follow that herd with a lens to insanity, and um, they're the cattle ranchers and and whoever else i guess the state you know they're up in arms and they have to go through and and maybe call part of the herd and for me if you know in my head i'm like well why don't we you know trank them and transport you know and put put them up at uh what's north of us right now uh the lake uh put them up with the pillsbury herd or you know you know or whatever i don't know what that what goes into that or how intense that process is yeah i don't know but i just i feel like there has to be what can we do other than call them call the herd because they've done such a good job with that herd and it has gotten so big that i feel like to not take those genetics and spread them out across the state like I think there's there's you know uh, other than just the genetic issue yeah. it would be in uh, this is just sticking in my head for some reason I don't know if I'm right about this there's some disease issues with that herd oh really and and I think well it's in, it's interesting you bring that up just because I'm out there often you know what I mean like I know recently there's been tons of that elk herd that have like chronic diarrhea all over the place so. Know? I, I think they would be very hesitant to move those elk to a because different of herd, that fact. potentially spread the, whatever that, disease that they yeah, have. Yeah, whatever. And, yeah. and I may be wrong, but yeah. I think that's uh, that's probably going to be one of the big reasons. Well, they that don't and then move. also, I mean, I'm sure the cost of transport is well, astronomical. Relocation is very expensive. And then will they even make it? You know, it's right. like they had uh, a couple bulls, I want to say, in Sierraville yeah. a few years back. That um, they were trying to transplant, I want to say, further back up north to Susanville or even further north of that. Could have been. 
into the 305 and and um for whatever reason the elk didn't yeah, survive yeah. yeah 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 bulls are very uh they're tough Tep- to, temperamental too they, 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 they die um yeah. so it, yeah it, it's unfortunate yeah um it happens yeah uh, there's a term for it i if i'm right i mean i'm not a uh capture specialist but right the, uh by any means the <laughs> i think it's called capture myopathy oh really and i don't know what it is yeah. um but yeah they, they die occasionally. oh wow and, and it happens all everywhere anytime you you stress out a wild animal there's a oh i'm a sure high, a, a likelihood it could die during capture or transport or release yeah and Absolutely. or even after yeah so yeah it's well, a traumatic experience it's probably could only i couldn't imagine what it'd be like if someone <laughs> shoots you with me. a dart yeah, and, and i woke up inside of a net or right. inside of like some sort of horse track right, yeah you're going down the road <laughs> To an Where unfamiliar place. am I right now? <laughs> I mean, if we're putting human thought and human emotions into wildlife, yeah. sure, you know, that's what's going to go on. Yeah. But yeah, so it happens. It's unfortunate, but that's you know part of the the big picture we need to look at. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I, sorry I, for that tule elk tangent. No, I love tule elk, man. I love I, I've been fortunate. I've been drawn twice. Are you kidding? Yeah. My so grandmother got the cow tag twice at Grizzly Island. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those those tags are not as hard as everybody thinks to get. Yeah. If you're not looking for antlers. Yeah. And I mean, how cool hunts. would it be to have a have a cow elk mount anyways? Uh, I don't know about a cow elk. I don't even have a bull elk mount. I just have Europeans. Yeah, I just I mean I'm a it's so I I shot my family's biggest buck right, and and the history of my family this year in Utah, and it took six guys to convince me to shoulder mount yeah. the buck that I shot, and I still look at it and I'm like, I still look at it and I'm like, man, I I wish half of me wishes that I euro mounted that thing yeah. because I love a, a good euro mount. Yeah, I know. I think euro mounts have become more and more popular. And, right. No, I've even thrown around the idea of like doing a a euro mount class. Uh-huh. Like teaching people how to do Boil it. Boil it out. Yeah. That'd be a really, I, I, that that would be neat. I think it would be a, a fun class. I'd be sitting there watching the pot you know, boil. Or, you know, and I and bet there's a, there's a guy out of Southern California. I want to say his name is Ryan Olson. He goes by White Bone Creations. Okay. He does amazing euro mounts, but he—I bet you. If yeah, you but see, gonna, that kind of guy doesn't want me teaching these classes because he wants people to bring him heads. I don't. I do, don't think that think he'd so? have a problem teaching. Know. I'll. You know what? I can. I'll. I'll text him. You give him a call. I'm yeah, gonna text him right now. But so, <laughs> just like the butchers don't. They want me. They don't want you they to teach me. They don't want me to teach people classes. how to cut their pipe their because animals up, right? Yeah. It cuts into their business. And that, and that goes into the same thing like what you're talking about when they cut out a sheep tag. Right. You know, the guide the guide relying the on the down that. the road, yeah. yeah, the, yeah. The, the trail of money in, in the outdoor world. There's a lot of money. It's a it's big industry when you really break it down. It is financial wise, you know, and I think I was looking at something the other day. Um and I want to say it's something in the, in the ballpark of eight million dollars a day for is raised for conservation for wildlife conservation. Um, I don't want to say just for our state, but across the sure. board. Um, it was some crazy number. I can't. Remember. I'm trying to think what the total uh, fund was. Pitt and Robertson fund was last year. It was a lot. For California? Or? No, I know. California got in the neighborhood of like $25 million. Oh, really? Just from the Pittman-Robertson Fund. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, somewhere in that, that ballpark. 
and that all goes towards that goes towards uh, wildlife conservation, uh, land acquisitions, habitat improvement, biology, the biologists, their projects, hunter education. If I didn't say that, yeah. Um, so it, it goes to a lot of different programs, and it, it's super helpful. I don't, we wouldn't be able to, to do a lot of projects if it weren't for that federal money. Oh wow! So. so if someone doesn't have any points, okay. like most people that would be coming, you know, coming to the table after a hunter's education course, would you recommend for them to start putting in for elk tags and, and sheep tags? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Why, why not? So if you're, if you know, this goes back to that whole, if you have zero points, you put in for a tag that points don't matter in. Yeah. Like the tags, the hunts with one tag. Yeah. Or it doesn't matter if you put in for a hunt with five tags. Yeah. There's still that one random tag. So you're in the draw regardless. Now, you may never get drawn for a sheep tag based on your preference points. Yeah. Um, and so you're just going to have to deal with that. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's just the way it is. Uh, we we don't have the opportunity that to say that you will be drawn after 30 years for a sheep tag. It's just not going to happen. We don't have a cap on the points yeah. um, in California, so there's no there's no upper limit. I mean, at some day down the road, there's going to be some dude out there with 200 points. Yeah, and he's you know, and, but somebody's not going to live that long. Hey, so you never know. Maybe with by modern, then they with might. Modern right? advances with modern in medicine. science and technology, you never know, right? So <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's just. It's gonna be tough. It's yeah. gonna be tough for for people just getting in the sport for tags. At least for those those three species: the elk, antelope, and, and sheep. Yeah. Uh, but for deer, I mean, you with reasonable certainty, you get drawn after three or four years for a decent hunt. Yeah. And uh, five years, six years for a, a good X zone. You know, those six A, six B, seven A, seven B hunts. Yeah. It's those are good zones. They're not X five B. They're not you know X twelve. But they're really good hunts. So yeah. it's it doesn't take that long. And it's not like you're going to be waiting to hunt for seven years. Yeah. You're going to go hunt every year. Well, you're just not going to go hunt your X zone. Right. Well, you get a general tag. Like for me, I mean, I've had an X zone twice in my entire life. And I hunt general tags yeah. for majority of, of any tags that I hunt in California. I've killed more deer with general tags then I'll probably ever kill sure. with X zone tags. And that's public land hunting yeah. and backcountry hunting in the state. You know, so it's, it's, there's, you can, you can be successful without having a premium absolutely. tag is I guess what I'm getting yeah. at. Yeah, you absolutely can. You know what I mean? There's no question. You know, and, and for me, I mean, a, a big part of where I found my success is hunting archery. I find sure. a lot. It's a lot easier to find those velvety bucks that are afraid of getting their antlers. They're not going into the brush. Smashed yeah. around, and you know, than finding them when they're in that thick stuff because oh, they're hard. They're hard and yeah. Absolutely, and you know, I tell people, I mean, if you want to get an archery, get an archery only tag. Yeah, and your season AO is tag is like, dude, your right? AO tag is second July, Saturday in July, all through. the way through December. Yeah, yeah, I mean, right. Some zones, right? some the down Southern, Southern Cal California yeah. D zones. Yep. So yeah. you're hunting. That's almost a six month long deer season. Yeah, and what other state can you do None. that in with None. one tag? Yeah. None. 
<laughs> so it's so funny to me when people knock California. We get two deer tags, yeah, and we can have a six-month-long archery season. That's insane. It is. It is. And I mean, archery is its own animal. It, it's, but like you said, if you're hunting during weather in velvet, yeah, you see a lot of animals, yeah, because they're out, they're yeah. feeding, they're they're. You know, having to eat to grow those antlers. Yeah. I mean, they, they they grow and lose those they antlers every single source. year. Yeah. So they're growing that. And archery is a great way to get out and scout. Yeah. Um, you don't need an archery only tag. I mean, if you're dead set on hunting a zone, get an a zone tag. Yeah. And go hunt the archery season with your a zone tag. And and then you're basically scouting. If you don't shoot something during archery season you're going back to the rifle season yeah. and you've got another so even with a zone you're hunting from second saturday just an a zone tag not an archery only a zone you're hunting from second saturday in july through almost the end of like the third saturday or third sunday of september fourth yeah. sunday of september yes yeah. that's almost three months yeah no other state has a three month long deer season right maybe arizona <laughs> with their you know, July their, or their deer um, archery hunt. Yeah, I mean, very few. Yeah. So, yeah, we we've, we've got opportunity wise, we've we've got some really good opportunities in California, and uh, you know, we've got it for kids too. That uh, we're giving more and more apprentice tags out mm-hmm. uh, for either sex deer hunts or there's apprentice elk hunts, there's apprentice antelope yeah. hunts, uh, there's apprentice hunts on like Kenyatta de las Osos uh, or down on the Chimeneas Ranch. Yeah. So there's, there's, the kids have a lot of opportunities that uh, parents don't have. Yeah. And, and some of the apprentice hunts like on the regular draw, you know, if you put in, start putting in when you're 12, I mean, you're at max points for a junior when you're 17 and you've got a decent chance of getting drawn. Well, and even, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, so say if I'm a junior or I have a kid and my kid's putting in and he's 17 when he puts in, but he turns 18 at the end of August, right before the season starts, he still counts as a junior. Absolutely. Junior. Yeah. You can turn, you can turn 18 during your license year. And that's okay. Absolutely. It's fine. Yeah. Perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, the cool thing about juniors too, is that a junior with his first deer tag, mm-hmm. can put in for a junior hunt. Yeah. And and then use his second deer tag to apply, attach himself like to a party for a next zone tag. Oh, really? Yeah. So a junior can have, get drawn for... I didn't know that. The, uh, let's say, J18 hunt. Mm-hmm. And, and then put with his dad and uncle and grandpa and friend... On whatever their On their party for X... 5A, and really? if they've got the points to do it, they can draw it. And that kid could have two premium tags. No shit. Yeah. Just kids. Wow. Just kids. I didn't so. know that. Yeah. So I'm going to have to call my nephew. Put your kids in. I don't have kids, but oh. I'll call my nephew. Oh. I'll let him know. He'll probably listen to this and just be like, hey, Dad, guess what I just right. found out. Definitely. My dad's going to be like, Andy. <laughs> I get a phone call about it for sure. Yeah, you owe me forty bucks for that second deer tag. <laughs> right. So, kid. So what you said is, youth can start building points at the age of twelve. Yes. Yeah. In California, they've got to be twelve when they apply. Okay. Uh, other states, you can turn twelve before your hunt. 
Uh, but California, you've got to be 12 before you, to you apply. apply. Yeah. And application season is? April 15th through June 2nd. And then we have the latest draw results to come out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, but they close June 2nd, and you usually and get them by the Most states 12th. are closed by, yeah. right, by yeah, then. But, so. but our turnaround is fairly it's quick. It's pretty quick, yeah. Yeah. It's getting quicker too with the system. You know, the system's rolling through. Well, I like how sometimes it slips out. You know, a couple days before the date that it's supposed to, right? And that's always really exciting because all of a sudden, everybody's like, "Oh, I got this," or "My card got dinged." Or no, I don't think that happens. Yeah, we don't do that here because you buy it ahead of time. Yeah, you buy everything ahead of time, but yeah, that's how I found out my son got drawn for Arizona. Yeah, I saw a credit card statement. So, did they already do the turkey draws? Um, for California? Yeah. I'm, I'm I don't know if they've done the draw, but the draw deadline's passed. It's passed, yeah. right? Okay. Okay. Um, so there's plenty of different opportunities for kids. Absolutely. And juniors, I mean, I was on a, I helped out on a junior hunt for a 305 bull a couple years back. Which one's 305? Uh, Northeastern. Oh, okay. Great. And the kids smoked like a 364 <laughs> inch or 68 inch bull. I like, oh my god! And the craziest thing about California elk is the layers of fat that they have in sure. it. Sure, that's where you go get an elk in the in in Montana or out of state anywhere, where they're not just kind of rifling through the Sierras. Right, right. They actually have like some serious topography to get sure. through. You know, they don't have that much fat out of state. And yeah, it just blew my mind. How and these big bulls up there in northeastern have big layers of fat. Big, huge, just. Yeah, and that dry pinion country that yeah. they live in up there is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's rough yeah. living for them. So something else, and it's not here on the list, and we kind of talked about it a little bit was um, hunters education instructors get special opportunities in the state of California. Yeah. yeah. So as as part of a, I guess you could say it a thank you for being a, an active hunter education instructor. Yeah. Um, there are hunts that are only available for hunter education instructors. Including the Golden Opportunity. Open Zone. Open Zone. Open Zone. Not yeah. Gold, Golden, golden Opportunity. It's a governor's tag. Yeah. What people call the governor's tag. It's a, It only goes by auction. That's where you can hunt basically from July 1 through January 31st. Yeah. Anywhere in the state at any time. And we'll get into auction tags okay. a little bit. So we'll go back to that. Um, so the hunter ed instructor incentive drawing, if you, there's some stipulations. You can't just become a hunter ed, hunter education instructor and then apply for these tags. You have to be a, an active and eligible mm-hmm. instructor for three years prior to apply. And now an active and an eligible instructor, what does that entail? So there's three things. So you have to teach a class a year. Mm-hmm. You have to attend an annual training, mm-hmm. which we offer numerous annual trainings and they're all over the place and we do it in every district of the state yeah satellite conferences we do a correspondence course so plenty of opportunity for people to attend annual trainings but then if if you have any expenses or if you have no expenses you have to turn in submit an expense report mm-hmm. letting us know that hey you didn't make any money yeah because you can't make any money on, under this venture and once you do those three things for three years in a row mm-hmm. you're you're considered eligible you're considered eligible and so so for an instructor to apply in 2019 he w- he or she would have had to teach a class in 2018 2017 and 2016 mm-hmm. and so it's the previous three years yeah and then they're eligible for this 
Now, with this incentive drawing, we the big one is there's a, an open zone deer tag that is only available to eligible hunter education instructors. Mm -hmm. So the odds are ridiculously better well, for high. The well, odds are high. Yeah, your odds are higher for being drawn. The amount of people that are putting in for it. Sure, compared to the open zone draw for the general public. Yeah, the raffle tag. is really, really high. The one that goes out that you put in for uh, in the draw. Um but there's also, we give out 10x zone tags, too. And mm -hmm. that's in the fishing game code, or in the regulations, yeah. that spells it out. We can give out 10x zone tags. So, uh, generally, it's any x zone tag that has over 100 tags for a yeah. quota. So, like, we can't give out 5a or 5b, because they have under 100 that's tags. That's too bad. It is. <laughs> but, I'm you know, you can't, you know... First choice, turn, turn, day. <laughs> turn a frown to uh, an x3b tag. Yeah. Right? So... It's so we give out X two X I think we do X one X two X three A three B X four six A six B seven A seven B and I think X twelve mm -hmm. are the ones we gave out last year. So yeah. and, and on top of that, people donate us hunts. People yeah. donate us pig hunts. Ranchers donate us pig hunts too. Yeah. That only go towards hunter ed, active hunter education instructors, active and eligible hunter education instructors. Mm -hmm. So it's a uh, it's it's like a thank you, you know, giving back. These people or like yourself are volunteering your time yeah. to teach hunter education to the next generation. And I say next generation, not meaning age, but the next round of hunters coming yeah, the, into the fold. The next new guy coming yeah, in. New guy being a, a ten year old kid or a fifty year old yeah. you know wife that wants to go hunting with her husband. Yeah. Whatever, right? That's the next generation. Of or a new single, or not? I don't want to say a new single mom, but like absolutely. I mean, how many times have I met single moms that come in that are like, "I want to hunt. I want to. I want to teach my yeah. kids how to hunt." Yep. We need a new family activity that we can all do together. I, there's a lot of of single women that come to my classes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so it's it's very uh, it's cool to see. Yeah. And. and you know what? The the women are by far more engaging. Yeah. Uh, they ask tons of questions, really good questions. They're the first ones to, you know, slap the gloves on and get dirty and, and you know, start gutting a pig. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really fun to watch because yeah. they, they're, they're in it for really good reasons. Yeah. And, you know, we totally support, we support everybody getting involved, but it's really cool to see women because... In my opinion, if, if you attract women to hunting, you're going to get men. kids, and well, men are going to follow. And men are going to follow, too. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I got to say, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that my wife's a hunter. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, yeah, we use hunting sometimes to get away from our wives, but at the same time, it's really cool to go hunt with your wife. Yeah. So, it, it's, you know, and, and women who hunt are a special thing. I mean, they really, really are. Yeah. Uh, Grit. Grit, they've got yeah. grit. Now, women have more grit than men generally. Anyway. All day, but uh, for sure. If uh, yeah, if you get one that hunts and is not afraid to get you know cold and wet and bloody and dirty and it's it's a lot of fun. It yeah. really is. Oh, one so. of my buddy, him and his wife, they go hunt together, and it's funny because she keeps killing bigger animals than it's he's awesome. killed, and it's so great. It's awesome. It's so much fun. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I. I I haven't had much opportunity to hunt with too many women. I've had I've had the opportunity to hunt with a few women, and it always amazes me how much and and 
how passionate they yeah. get for the oh, sport shit, yeah. of hunting. Oh yeah. You know, it's it's totally remarkable. It's awesome. Yeah. So where can people look up more opportunities for youth hunts? Um, so you know, in addition to our stuff, you know, we've got all the apprentice hunts for the, the, the junior hunts for the deer tags, the uh, apprentice elk and antelope tags. We also offer some uh, special hunts, like, mm-hmm. like I said, Chimneus or Kenyatta de los Osos. Um, but also, like, California Waterfowl offers deer hunts mm-hmm. uh, through their program. Uh, I believe, does Turkey Federation getting involved? They might have some deer hunts, but uh, that's about you know where you're limited on the deer hunts. Yeah, uh, with with kids. Yeah, it's just um, we should have more, but mm-hmm. we've got some. So that's we've got opportunities, that's and that's the a kids start. absolutely For sure. have opportunities. For sure, absolutely. For sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, so we've got the special opportunities for elk, for deer, turkeys. Uh, we give out a ton of special hunts. Mm-hmm. So. Like they're they're closed now. Uh, they closed, I think, on March second for the kids. Uh, but yeah, we've got a lot of our state wildlife areas. We have special turkey hunts yeah. just for the kids, uh, and they're really good hunts. Yeah. So just little less competition, lots of birds, and kids usually get opportunities. On and turkeys. are they mentored hunts? Like, do the do the 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 adult and the child have Someone going like a guide them. or something yeah, like with a, a mentor. Um, yeah. The ones at Canada de las Osos do. Yeah, yep. They've got volunteers that come out and call. Uh, they've got they've got blinds set up year round that just stay in the same place. The turkeys are used to them, uh, and so they go walk out there in the morning, sit there, guide calls or or the parent calls, whatever whatever their experience level is. Yeah, and uh, and that just that happens there. The other ones like on the wildlife areas are generally just access and opportunity uh-huh. so they they go there they meet with the uh you know somebody from the wildlife area staff and say hey, here's here's the hunt areas uh, don't go over here by you know the farm <laughs> equipment and you got eight thousand acres and like gray lodges case to hunt turkeys on yeah and can be fantastic opportunities so oh wow lots lots of really good opportunities there um, pigs, uh, the Canada de las Osos has those two different pig hunts throughout the year. Yeah, and uh, the success rate is, is it's higher than normal, but it's still it's a pig hunt. It's, yeah. it's not not the easiest hunt in the world. Yeah, so, uh, but it's a great opportunity for for kids. Yeah. Um. So. Oh, and then the share hunts. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't oh yeah, that's right. Hunt. So we've got the SHARE program. SHARE is an acronym that I usually get wrong. It's, I think, SHARE, Shared Habitat and Recreational Enhancement Program. Yeah. Something like that. And basically what it is, it, it our department takes on liability from private landowners mm-hmm. who offer hunting opportunities on their land. Yeah. And we, we do the draw. We provide the access information that sometimes they, the person who draws the hunt contacts a landowner. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't. Uh, but it's basically giving hunters who get drawn opportunity to hunt private land. Okay. And it costs, I think, around $11 per application. Oh, wow. That's for, not even bad. For these hunts. And they're really good hunts. We, there's elk hunts, deer hunts, pig hunts, turkey hunts. Uh, I think, even think there's some dove and quail hunts. Oh, and, wow. And... Uh, 
it's the eleven dollar application fee basically funds the program mm -hmm. and it allows uh, Victoria, the, the lady who runs the share program, to incentivize these landowners. You know, either pay pay their insurance or pay uh, whatever costs. Yeah, just an access fee, yeah. right? a reasonable access fee <coughs> to get onto the property. Not and fifteen thousand dollars. No, no. <laughs> sometimes it's per animal. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's per acre. For sure. So depending, I don't know what formula she uses, but. Uh, it, it, the program's growing slowly, and it's you know I think as as it becomes more successful, and I mean, we haven't had any incidents, mm -hmm. uh, other landowners might go like, hey, it's something I might yeah. look into, and hopefully it can continues to grow. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit from youth, how is the funds that's raised from license or the revenue that's from license and tag sales used? Like what do they? What, how do they figure that out? What is so the license sales go back to the department. Mm -hmm. um, the tag sales, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, like a deer tag, mm -hmm. money goes back to the deer program. Yeah, elk tag goes back to the elk program. Sheep specific program. for wildlife that right. you're putting in dedicated funds yeah. for those particular species. Yeah, um, and then you have non-game. Funds. You have Upland Game Bird. You have the Upland Game Bird stamp, so that goes into the Upland Game Bird account. Okay. Uh, so they're kind of self-funding programs, but we we do get some money from general fund. I mean, yeah. We we cannot. The, our department can't operate on license and tag sales alone. Uh -huh. It just we <laughs> we don't not, sell enough of them to, yeah. to do it. Well, and the numbers are going down. If and I understand correctly, they're going down. Uh, definitely. Yeah. So. We we rely on state funds mm -hmm. as well, um, but in addition to that, we we get a significant amount of money from the federal government through the Pittman Robertson mm -hmm. funds and the Dingle Johnson funds. Both mm -hmm. are funded through excise taxes on on equipment, yeah, uh, ammunition, archery equipment, and uh, firearms, uh, fishing equipment. So that that money gets divvied out to the states based on. The number of hunting licenses sold and the land area of the state. Uh -huh. So where we really do well is because we live in a pretty large state. Yeah. So we we the huge population. The, yeah, population for that doesn't come into play, but just the land area of the state alone is is really what's saving us, um, you know, from a reduction in funding. Mm -hmm. So our department is and and all the stakeholder groups, all the nonprofits, all the uh, fishing clubs, not all of them, but a lot of fishing clubs and uh, things. We're, we're currently in this planning stage to mm. try and recruit, retain, and reactivate hunters. In R3. The, or the R3. Which you mentioned R3 earlier, so I totally am down to go into Did it. I? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's that that's the, our department, and it's a nationwide push. It's not just California. Yeah. It's, this is, it's nothing new. Um it's we're we've got a, a a plan to make a plan right now on how we're going to implement this and how we're going to uh, accomplish our goals. Uh -huh. So we're we're looking at how we can gain more hunters, how we can um, retain hunters in into the sport instead of losing them to uh, you know why do people get out of hunting? That's yeah. the question we have. Why do they stop hunting? Well, money is it family is it uh, job is it I wonder if any of it's pushed back from media or people not wanting to deal with uh, the negative association or you know 
I, I think there there's very good potential that people are, are hanging it up because uh, you know kind of you're, you're like what, in the closet as a hunter yeah. oh yeah I mean well, you for can't me, go around up and tell Marin people County, yeah growing up in Marin County I mean it was it was stressed and taught to me like you can't let people know that we're going right. out and hunting so on the weekends so you have to hide the fact that you're you're engaged in a lawful activity yeah that ultimately provides conservation funding for that wildlife and and that's 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 not right yeah i mean it we are a law-abiding <laughs> group of people for the most part i mean yeah. there's there's you know nefarious activities that go yeah. on but there is i just every- laugh because it's funny we're law-abiding citizens that are just trying to do what we love to do right. and are passionate about and you basically get shamed into not admitting that you're involved in that activity yeah yeah and that that's not right no. so yeah do i think that's the case yeah i think that for some people that's that's enough of Part a reason of to hang to say hey uh, you know or just go hunt in another state yeah and just say you know what Forget California. Yeah, I can go to Montana or Idaho or wherever and, and hunt every year. Yeah, it's going to cost me a little more money, mm-hmm. but they're going to welcome me. Yeah, you know, you go to those states, they welcome you. That's mm-hmm. a huge source of income for those states. Yeah. So, you know, we need to get those people back. Yeah, I mean, yeah, some might be lost, but we can probably get some back. Uh, and then the other thing is we need to like reactivate. Well, that's part of reactivation as well. Is you know we need to reactivate those people that have gone out of state, yeah, uh, and, and bring them back to California. And then the people that have quit hunting altogether, get them back, and, yeah, and, and into hunting. So that's the big push right now. Um, a lot of it, you know, is how, how do we make ourselves relevant mm-hmm. in in today's society, in California's society today? How how are we relevant? Mm-hmm. And that that's like that's the goal of this is. Those, those three things. It kind of should be R4. Right. That relevancy is huge. So, but it's, it's integrated into all, all of the, the whole plan. So, mm-hmm. um, we're working on it you know, with all the stakeholder groups. Everybody's got a seat at the table. Uh, we want a more uh, widely uh, involved. involved audience and people saying, hey, from my perspective as a you know, tuna fisherman, mm-hmm. you know, this is what needs to happen. You know, that's fine. Everybody's yeah. got their opinion. And, you know, that's that's how things are working nowadays. It's not just a group of people up in Sacramento saying, nope, we're uh, we're just we're just lower the, the hunting license sales five bucks. Yeah. The hunting license price five bucks. So everybody's involved. Yeah. And, uh, well, a lot of people are involved. And <laughs> it's a big, it's a big plan. And, yeah. And so we'll see where it goes. Um, you know, I've, it's one of the things I'm working on right now, and uh, it's it's good. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. See where it goes. So, yeah. So, what would you say is when the state's coming up with tag quotas? Um, how are they? I mean, I know we talked a little bit about the die-off that happened down south sure. and stuff like that. But what do they do? You know, like when. Uh, I believe D6 got they cut the number of tags in half on that or you know when they're doing all these different things what are they doing out in the field or what what's going sure. on sure so like D6 when they cut the tags it's a great example yeah so that was right after the rim fire mm-hmm. uh, that burnt 230,000 acres Huge. out of D6 yeah and essentially the forest service went in there and said it's closed 
you can't go in there. Mm -hmm. So our department goes like, wait a second. How do we put (laughs) 10,000 hunters on the remaining land? Yeah. So they said, well, we're going to cut the tags. Mm -hmm. And and it it wasn't... I'm sure there was probably some, you know, because that fire was so intense and fast and uh, that it probably killed some some animals. Yeah. But it also just what it was going to do is just compact people into the remaining areas. And you can't do that. Yeah. You just slaughter the herd. Because any any deer that were in that rimfire are moved out now. Into wherever they get, can find they're food. They're going to get hammered. Yeah. So it was a, a conscious decision to say, hey, we're just cut the tags. That'll come back. It'll reopen. Mm-hmm. And look, the tags back up. So yeah. it, it's, it's, that's how wildlife management should work. Yeah. Um, same thing with the die-offs down the Southern Sierras. It, it's, it happens. We need to be flexible. Um for the general zones, it's the the unit biologists. They do surveys. They run transects. They 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 do counts and they they compare them. It's more of a trend, you know, mm-hmm. what they're seeing in the field. From from my understanding, is they, yeah. they look at these trends. And yeah. If the trends show a steep decline or a steep increase, they can recommend some changes. Yeah. All the con- changes have to go through the Fish and Game Commission, and they have to be supported with data. Yeah. So that that's ultimately what it comes Backed down to. Backed up by scientific data. Backed up by scientific data. Yeah. And, you know, the, the better our data, the less of a chance we're going to get uh, sued in court mm-hmm. uh, for making a change. Yeah. And a change generally that will benefit hunters. Yeah. So Who sues you? Uh, the, some Who of the, sues the state? I yeah, guess some of the uh, you know non anti hunting groups. Okay, um, you know the Center for Biological Diversity. I, I, I believe I I don't I don't see these lawsuits, so I don't want to name names. Yeah, but no, I don't need it, names. It, we're we're definitely we've definitely been sued for decisions that we've made. Uh-huh. And, um, so we need to back our data essentially, yeah. and and that's the way it should be. Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't be able to to submit. You know, subpar data and, yeah. and expect to get changes made, you know, with open arms. Yeah. It's, you know, you want to convince me of something, don't give me some half ass argument, right? <laughs> Just convince me. Yeah. That's kind of the same way. So Seriously. That's, that's, as far as I know, not being a biologist, that, that's how it's done. Yeah. So here's a question that I've always been wondering recently is why is everything in California a zone? And in almost every other state, it's a unit. Well, is there a difference for that, or is that just? Why? Well, I mean, why is there, <laughs> why is everybody else a, a unit and not a zone? As, I mean, yeah, it's a yeah. semantic argument yeah. here. It's. Uh, um, I think a zone is a better definition of a, an area than yeah. a unit, right? For sure. <laughs> you know, this twelve-ounce bottle of water is a. That's a unit of measurement. So I guess a, a unit of measurement for a, an area would be a you know acreage for square miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a unit too. I get yeah. it. It's a semantic thing. I don't know. Man. Yeah, I just, just had to. I had it. to ask just because <laughs> I'm always like always look and scratch, and I've never actually thought about asking right. when I'm in the field with someone to be like, hey, let me. Ask Why you. do you guys yeah. do this? And here we are in like a quasi official setting. So I just <laughs> yeah. had to. I have no idea. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, so, is there any discussion about the bear quota not being hit, or is there anything going on there that you can shed any minimal light on? Or there's lots of discussion, yeah, a lot of tailgate discussions about, yeah, hey, we're not reaching the bear quota. Um, 
any official discussion or just tailgate? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not okay. involved with those yeah. discussions. Yeah, so, for sure. Um, you know, I, I'd like to hope there is. Yeah. That it's uh, being talked about. Though. That yeah, there's like, like, hey, we're not reaching the quota. The easy thing to do is is to look at that and go like, hey, we're not reaching the quota. Maybe the bear population's down. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's the easiest thing to do. I think even without hard data, you'd be able to argue that fact with <laughs> with the the amount of bears, uh, bear human interactions that we've had in the last um, five years, right? Six I mean, years, just everywhere not just the the hot spots of tahoe and mammoth but bakersfield yeah i mean go down to bakersfield on any given year and there's bears in bakersfield a couple bears in sonoma county if i understand how they're moving south i mean it's uh so the the bear population is expanding yeah and uh bears are a hard critter to quantify populations so Mm -hmm. um yeah i'd like to hope there's discussion on that because Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and how to rectify it? Yeah, and how are you going to make changes that, uh, to do that? Whether <coughs> whether you bring back hounds or you you do a spring season, or if you increase uh, allow two bears to be taken, uh, because let's get I mean let's be straight. There, yeah. Some hunters are far better than others. Yeah. So my one buddy always says that. Uh, Ten percent of all yeah. hunters kill ninety percent. Right. That's probably accurate. Yeah, I mean that's probably a lot of poaching going on there, but <laughs> those numbers. But the uh, you know it's fun. I mean, yeah, there is there is a yeah. there is a, a segment of the hunting population that is more consistently successful than yeah. the other portion. So, um, yeah, it's it's just how are we going to do that? How are we going to make those changes? Yeah. Uh, well, keeping everybody relatively happy about it. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. bears are bears are. A well, and especially in a state like California, it, it's and it's an extremely sensitive yeah. Yeah. subject, which is sort of for me why I'm I'm I don't want to say I'm tiptoeing, but I'm delicately. Right, and I'm going to answer delicately. Yeah, because, absolutely. I mean, I have you know my thoughts on it, and yeah. but there I, I don't have any proof to back it up. I mean, yeah, really, I don't. And. So my buddy Ryan, who does the um, Euros, mm-hmm. he said that if you wanted him to assist with any class for you Euros, he'd be totally Sweet. down. Oh, yeah, I'll get his contact Just, info from you. Yeah. Awesome, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so the bear thing is, is a tough sell. I mean, it's uh, – and there's a lot of them. I mean, I, I consider myself – having probably the worst bear luck of anybody me too so i'm 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 right there with you i buy a tag and i don't see a bear i, I don't, don't have a tag i, I and see I a bear bears. Bears. Yeah. yeah so i uh but when i'm not hunting like went on patrol and up you know in the sierras i i consistently see bears yeah. so whereas Maybe 10, 12 years ago, I didn't consistently see bears. Yeah. Uh, see more sign. Uh, see definitely, they're definitely probably a little more comfortable around roads now without hounds. So mm-hmm. you're probably seeing more of that for that reason. But I think the expansion of range is, is probably the biggest clue. I mean, where I live, it's not traditional bear country. We've had bears down around, you know, my town almost every year yeah so and they were not historically there yeah. so it, blame it on whatever drought habitat whatever um you can say it's 
it's just population growth and they're being pushed out yeah. to find more suitable habitat because they are relatively territorial. So, yeah, you got to look at that and then it needs to be addressed. Yeah. In, in, in my opinion, it needs to be addressed. And it's safe to say we might have some record bears coming out of California in the next few years. Well, yeah, just with the sheer numbers. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're going to get... Big bears. Less bears being taken. <laughs> the bears are going to be able to get older, yeah. bigger. I mean, we kill some giant bears yeah. already. Yeah. So, and so, yeah, it's, it's going to happen. For they, sure. They may taste like baby diapers, but, uh, you know... Bear sticks are good, and if you're teaching a class on making sticks... It would be a likely subject to talk about, yes, <laughs> yeah. with bears. Yeah. Um, all right. So, moving on from that, I'd love to talk about the relations and interactions with hunters and DFW fellas in the sure. field, with wardens in the field. Um, and and the, the reason why I bring it up, you know, and you and I have discussed this a little bit, is... is there's horror stories that Always. people have with wardens, and and there's also really really amazing um, stories that people have had with wardens. For example, uh, I just did a podcast with uh, Jake Leonard, okay. Leonard, he, uh, the fellow who shot the mountain oh, lion yeah, with his sure. bow. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, every time I read his name, I want to say Leonard. It's like calcimony. Where does it come from? I don't know. Can, just happens. I just go with it. Right? I get you. It's fine. Just, just go with it. Um, I'll get sorted out. So you know, and and something that he talked about a lot was his positive experience that he had with DFW. And I've I've had, I could say now I've had more positive experiences with wardens in the field than I've had negative experiences sure. with warden wardens in the field. But I always feel like we as hunters. There's more things that we can do in the field to maybe make wardens feel a little bit safer when they're approaching a situation or to, to maybe break the ice a little bit better, um, you know, in the sense of realizing what a warden's job is and, and, and what's happening. And, and a warden's job, in my opinion, is you're out in the field, maybe you're miles back in the back country yeah. or... You're on a logging drag that may or may not be a road, you know, but, you know, you guys are out there. You're looking for suspicious activity. And uh, sad to say that reputations of hunters can be guys that are just driving around in a, in a Jeep, drinking sure. beers, sure. you know, with guns hanging out the window. I'm not saying that that is what hunters are. That's what we do. There but are there are hunters that do that. There are hunters Absolutely. that do that. Obviously, that's how we got painted with that with that picture. And and you know when you guys are approaching a vehicle or you're approaching a group of guys, you're not sure if they're intoxicated. Sure. You're not. You know what I mean. So like, there's always a, a level of safety. Not only that, you're interacting with people that might have loaded firearms that are locked, cocked, and ready to rock. You know what I mean. Sure. So it's so. That's part of the reason why I wanted to, to discuss this and have this conversation. It, it, it's, it's a great topic. So, I mean, I'll start by saying that the vast, vast majority of, of hunters mm -hmm. and, and fishermen, for that matter, are law-abiding, yeah. you know, just out to enjoy the recreational opportunities that have been provided to them. So, 
but there's always the chance. Now, from a, from a warden's perspective, if you are out in, let's say you're you're out on patrol, mm-hmm. and you're say you're walking out onto a wildlife area, yeah, and because this is just a good example, you're you're on a wildlife area. It's duck season, mm-hmm. and you're going to go check hunters that are maybe walking in from the blind. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, every hunter has a firearm, right? And that's could be used as a deadly weapon. Mm-hmm. It's not. Try not to consider them weapons. I mean, because they're yes, there are firearms are used as weapons, but yeah. it's 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 a tool of the trade. It's not it's not a weapon in a like a military sense of yeah of destruction of human right. life. So it's, but we don't know who the person is. Yeah, right? and so and I'll only speak for myself, but you you do this job long enough, you. You get a sense of people pretty quickly. Yeah. And, but you're always second guessing that, that first impression because, like, all right, you know, you know I, I kind of got a good feeling of this guy, but I, just, I don't want to get complacent. Yeah. So there's always that, 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 that lag in a contact where, you know, we're just like, we're feeling you out. They're, <laughs> you're, you're feeling us out. Where is it at? Yeah. But bottom line is, 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 Safety, our safety, your safety are our first priorities. Yeah. So, you know, first thing is, is going to be like, hey, do me a favor. Just, just keep the gun pointed in a safe direction. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk how was the hunt today. We're going we're gonna to shuck and jive a yeah. little bit. Um, and and then, you know, if nothing's wrong, we're going to go about our ways. Yeah. But let's, that's, <clears throat> that's one situation. Let's go up into the Sierras or the east side of the Sierras. Mm-hmm. And... Where you've got one warden, you know, in a hundred miles, and you may, maybe have a highway patrol somewhere in mm-hmm. a in a sedan or an explorer that can't get a whole lot of places, and you maybe have a sheriff deputy somewhere yeah. in that county, right? So now you've got a carload of guys driving around, maybe been drinking, maybe not, mm-hmm. you know, maybe have gun barrels sticking out of the window. But it looks like a porcupine driving down the road. <laughs> I mean, it happens, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I say this facetiously, but it happens. So we're going to go into those situations much more cautiously. Yeah. And and basically our goal is to control the situation. Yeah. That's our goal. Control the people. Control the situation. Uh, and, and some people may take that as a negative. As, as, for, by us, just by us telling them what to do. Hey, can you... Can you guys step out of the car mm-hmm. for me, or or step out of the car for me? Uh, those the same saying the same thing two different ways can be interpreted two diff, very different ways. Yeah. No, he told me to get out of the car, or he asked me to get out of the car. Yeah. Type thing. So, um, ultimately, it's for everybody's safety. Yeah. I mean, all it takes is one person to do make some furtive movement in the car, and now. Whereas one person would be in, you know, trouble is not the word, but, you know, highly suspect of of doing something. Yeah. Everybody in the car is at potential risk. Yeah. Because that one person made a move, like reached out of the seat real quick, made some further movement that puts us on, you know, immediate edge and we're our focus, we're, you know, supremely focused on what 
what going on happened. in that car. And now it goes from nice guy to tense. This is my situation. You're just in it. Yeah. And so you basically it's and that happens all the time. And yeah. there's no people are people are funny. You know, they see law enforcement like, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap. They they just start. It's just human nature. Yeah. So it. it that puts us on edge. That puts any law enforcement <laughs> on edge. Let's not. Let's be real. It's yeah. not just game wardens. For it's sure, every law enforcement yeah. officer, Absolutely. and they're going into the situation. And and you know, regular law enforcement, you know, PD and sheriff's deputies. I mean, they're dealing with people on mm-hmm. the usually on the worst day of their lives, and that's terrible, mm-hmm. right? We're dealing. Most of the people we deal with are just like, "Hey, how's it going? Where's all the deer?" Right? Yeah, we're like having that. a great time. But then there's that one percent. Yeah, that you know, whatever percentage it is that. Uh, potentially could try to harm us yeah. or situations that we run into in you know back in the woods uh i mean there's the whole gamut of things that game wardens run into on an annual basis um i mean murder suspects and uh and kidnappings there's all kinds of stuff that yeah. we deal with because we just run into that stuff that by because where are you You're nature of where we are you know so, what i mean so those interactions, I mean, it. So are some people better at talking than others? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, absolutely. There's no question. Um, yeah. But ultimately, the goal is to to get through a contact, take care of whatever business needs to be taken care of, whether it's a citation yeah. or or uh, you know handshake and hey, go check this area out type hunting tip, or somebody's going to jail. Yeah. I mean, it, the ultimate goal is that everybody leaves that situation safe. Yeah. And it, you know, it, every people, everybody has a different opinion how of how law enforcement should act. Right. Well, that's all well and good, yeah. but unless you've been a law enforcement officer, yeah, it's it's hard. It's you shouldn't be <laughs> saying that cop should have done this. Well, how do you know? Yeah. What, do you know what he was thinking or seeing? Yeah. From his perspective. Yeah. By what you were doing, so yeah. uh, I think if people. You know, just thought about that. What if I was that guy? Yeah, out here Absolutely. with these four people who all have guns, loaded guns, generally loaded. Yeah, you know, vehicles sometimes, but def- usually out you know, when somebody's walking around, the gun's hot. Yeah. So, you know, all we ask is, is just, hey, if we tell you to hand us your gun so we can take a look at the ammunition you're using, check the chamber. Let's or... just hand us the gun. We're not. Well, yeah. Well, I don't you, want your I'm gun. Gonna, I'm going to jump in with what you just said. Check the ammunition people are using. I mean, right? 2019, man, it's right. it's we've, it's copper. We've got not yeah, the there non, is there is toxic no, shot. There yeah. is no wiggle room no. anymore. It is it is strictly copper. So now. yeah, that goes into effect July one. Yeah, and uh, you know, but on top of that, you have full metal jacket ammunition. Yeah. So I mean, that's been in law for a long time. And what imagine with the popularity of sporting rifles like a two two three or something like that where somebody might just go get some FMJs right. instead of a hunting round. Right. It happens. Yeah. It, it happens all I mean, And that's just the most confusion. Common, right. The most common calibers are two two three, yeah, uh three oh eight and thirty out six. Yeah. Because there's a lot of that old remnant ball thirty yeah. out six ammo. So um but still, I mean we're gonna check your gun. That's what yeah. we do. And and I think Part of it is, you know, the officer needs to explain, hey, I'm going to check your guns for your, you know, I'm going to check your ammunition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just keep them pointing in a safe direction. It, it's it's controlling the situation. It's a fine line. Yeah. Because you got to control the situation without 
like bossing people around. Yeah. But there's times when it turns from just tactful controlling to bossing around. Yeah. And you know, once the situation's under control, tensions can come down. Well, now or my, de-escalate. My is, my is only bad term. experience I had was was exactly was exactly what what you're talking about is. Um, we had been stopped. We were out glassing uh, in a in a premium unit uh, in a late season hunt, you know, which is something I love to do. I go watch the mule deer migration sure. and and everything like that during the weather. And uh, one of the guys that was up there went from having a tactful conversation into bossing me around. And I and the hard part for me was this guy just watched me for four or five hours looking through glass with no firearm and I, I know that I was in plain sight the whole time and that was where it got difficult for me because sure. he had he had gone from that one point to the next and I was like what did what have I what done what caused that what what have I done and I mean I don't and you brought up a really good point of being in control of the situation and I don't know if maybe I had done something where maybe he felt like he had lost control of the situation but something else that i'll always do when interacting with wardens in the field and i found it it works fairly well is that the first thing that i'll do if if i encounter a warden is i'll take the bolt out of my rifle Uh, or i'll if i'm in my vehicle i'll say my rifle is unloaded would you like to check it and here's my license and tags yeah without them asking me I'll keep my hands on the steering wheel. If I need to get into my center console, I will announce before I get into my center right. console that I'm going to get into my center console so it's not a sudden, abrupt movement, right. Right. which is exactly what you talked about. And the only only reason why I became aware of any stuff like that was, you know, I went through a minor post course, uh, Peace Officer Standard Training for anybody who doesn't understand the abbreviation of post. Um where a lot of that stuff was talked about yeah. and a lot of that stuff was gone over and that really changed my perception on how to engage in first contact with law enforcement. Yeah, it, that's, a, that's a really good point. And, uh, you know, generally, uh, game wardens are dealing with a lot more firearms on a regular basis than, than street cops. Yeah. Just, just by the nature of what we're doing. Yeah. And uh, so... Every warden has their own comfort level in mm-hmm. dealing with people. Like I said, we're reading people as we're approaching. We're reading their their, their, their mannerisms, their body language um, as we're approaching. And what are they doing? Where, where are they sitting? Where are the guns? And we're looking around. We're scanning everything for any possible threat. Yeah. Right? And so when it goes to the control thing, it's not like we're control freaks. It's like, I want to go home to my kids, man. Yeah. This is my chosen profession. Yeah. And, you know, if you're in violation, own it. Yeah. You may get a ticket, you may not, move on. Yeah. We're, we're going to move on. Yeah. So, it, it it's, 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 it's a strange time to be in law enforcement right now. Mm-hmm. Um, totally so, is. So, you know, bottom line is, no game warden goes to work wanting to do anything bad to people. Mm-hmm. There's, there's just, it's, I'm sorry, that's just not that's not how it works. Yeah. So, and, and I'll, I'll even extend that out to all law enforcement. So, we we're put in this predicament to how do we enforce the law to where you know everybody's happy. Yeah. And I'm sorry, not everybody's <laughs> going to be happy when they get a ticket. I'm sorry, it's just not. Yeah. But if 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 you, if you <laughs> violate, own it, and then. 
move on. Yeah. And you know, after you get your ticket, ask where the deer hunt deer where the, where the deer are, yeah. where where the turkeys are, whatever. I mean, yeah. That's why we're that's that's should be in our mandate to assist hunters as well. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it we're not going to hold the grudge essentially. Yeah. Um, so. It's it's a very it's a tough situation, man, and and I, I feel really bad for uh, like new people getting into law enforcement today. I mean, they don't know any different from what it was twenty years ago or what, but it's it's different times, mm-hmm. and uh, and we have to we have to evolve too. So there's there's no question, but uh, you know, wardens, you know, we're <clears throat> here as as ambassadors to the sport, and we need to. Um, help people you mm-hmm. know be successful and and enjoy what they're doing mm-hmm. so yeah, that's that's really all i got i mean i'm sure somebody's got a yeah, horror story sure. about dealing with warden gregory i'm sure they do yeah, yeah. but yeah you know, i i haven't heard one i haven't either yet so he's hey. told me to my face at least <laughs> and I, you know I'm, I'm sure there's one right you can't make everybody happy but yeah. It, it's it's still it's it, it's just the nature of law. if i was a warden i'm sure there'd be plenty of problems with warden right. mogul Right. I promise you that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, you know, I mean, I I was sitting in a restaurant over here on the other side of town for a Christmas party, and I was sitting there talking to the owner who's an old-timer and a local of the area, and I brought up my grandfather's name, and he instantly was he like, knew. oh, you mean the old warden from around <laughs> town? And I was like, that's exactly who I mean. Nice. And he's like, yeah, I remember your grandfather. And he's like, reach inside the uh inside that box right there it's the top newspaper article inside the box on the old piano why don't you bring me that article and it was a full article, a about, full your article about my grandfather no busting poachers in marin county that's and, awesome you know what i mean but at the same time for those people i'm sure that was an asshole story sure you know oh absolutely uh, you know as this warden was right. a jerk you know and, and however you want right. to break it down but you know what Somebody wants to call me a jerk the other day. You'd be all right. At the end of the day, that means I got home. Yeah. That means they got home. Yeah. Everybody's happy. <laughs> I mean, Everyone's everybody, safe. Happy, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. You know, we'll see you after court, but it's uh, yeah, it's one of those things. So, right. you know, it, it's bottom line is we're there to enforce the law yeah. that is not glamorous. Yeah. It's, uh, it's underappreciated in some arenas. And, you know... We do it out of the love of what we do. Yeah. And uh, so we, a lot of us feel that we're there to support lawful hunters and they should, we, we kind of feel that they should support us too. Absolutely. I mean, it, who knows what would happen if there were no game wards? Yeah. We, we, we don't know. It, it'd be interesting to see, but I don't want to see that. So. We're nearing the end of the podcast. Do right. you have any concluding thoughts or anything else that you'd like to touch on? Man, we've covered so much and gone on so many tangents. Is there anything we missed? Is there anything we went? So, all right. So, you know, if anybody wants to go to a hunt, advanced hunter education class, I mean, I don't have a promo code to get you past the extremely uh, high demand of the classes, but. Um, yeah, we, we, on our website, you know, wildlife.ca.gov slash 
hunter-education slash advance is the website. Uh-huh. Um, or you could just go to our website and click on hunting, hunter education, it'll pop right up. <laughs> so I, I think that's probably an easier way to say it. Um, or you Google, uh, you know, hunter, advanced hunter education California, something. It'll, it, it's not that hard to find. Yeah. Uh, you guys can contact me via email. Uh, I... I'll answer any questions you guys have, uh, yeah. you know, about anything, not just classes. So, um, classes fill up pretty quick uh, if you guys are interested. And yeah, I, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate the absolutely uh, sounding board. Absolutely. Well, you know, again, thank you very much for coming on. So this this is where things get interesting. This All is right. this is the fun part of the podcast sure. um, because this is a three hour and ten minute podcast. It's a lot of talking. We'll probably break this down into two different episodes instead of dumping three hours of sure. me talking to everybody. Um, so this is we've we've partnered with an uh, an apparel company. Um, they make hats, t-shirts. It's this hat that I keep twisting in every right. single direction all the way Trying around. Trying to find a comfortable hat. position, and it's just changed every ten minutes throughout this entire podcast. Nobody can see it, but. I've been talking with you. And I've like, noticed you've my hat's been on completely up angles, sideways, backwards. Yep, yeah, it's and I'm just like, God, place. I wonder what he thinks about me with his hat just straight sideways. I haven't judged you um, at all. So, like I said, they make hats, t-shirts, sweatshirts, socks, um, all different kinds of apparel. Okay, not hunting gear, uh, and they're all awesome. I mean, they're graphics, you know, that they use. And their illustrator, their graphic illustrator, is just amazing so we come up with a dead eye question right and there is there is no preparation for this question (laughs) there is no anything for this question except for the question itself okay so the question for you is if you had to choose to use poison oak as toilet paper or your bare hand as toilet paper for a month what would you choose do you get poison oak? I think that's I the better. Get too. poison oak, very very. Bad. I get it so terribly too. Um, man. So, yeah. Do I get a choice of hand? Yeah. No, I I, I would just I, I would have to use the the poison oak. Yeah. Because you're eating. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that you know, with do hands. with my hands and just spreading that everywhere is just not an issue. Um, I would probably, yeah, because you can you can at least control poison oak a little bit. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, you're going to be slapping the, you know, calamine uh, on your butt yeah. uh, for a month and a half because it's going to take some time to heal. Yeah, um, a lot of time. But you're, you know, you might build up an immunity after that. So it's possible. It's uh, it's an allergy. So it's uh, for sure. Yeah, I think I would use uh, the poison oak. The poison oak. Yeah. So, yeah. and this is we're just going to go on a side tangent for Let's one more it. tangent. Uh, do you have any? Being someone who gets poison oak terribly, do you have any tricks for? ridding yourself or not getting poison oak no you don't no so i don't because it, it's 
for me, it, I've I've tried the bleach, mm-hmm. pouring bleach on it. That didn't work. Yeah. Um, what's the stuff you put on after? Technu oak. Technu does not do anything for Tech me. Technu oak doesn't do anything no. for me either. Uh, the soap. I've tried those like, uh, you know, new age, uh, you know, what homeopathic soap bars. No. Nothing doesn't Nothing. do anything. Um, Honest. You want you want to know a really good trick, and yeah, I, I discussed this with Mike Harrison last last Friday when I did a podcast with him. The best trick that I have found, and I am in poison oak a lot because I like to pig hunt. And pig hunting, and yeah, yeah, this is all poison oak country out here. Dawn dish soap. Take a shower and wash your entire body in Dawn dish soap after you put huh. your clothes in the washing machine. Okay. It is the it best, hands down, the cheapest, best, most effective anti-poison oak product on the planet. So will it prevent it or will it, will it just, just minimize it? it if so, if, if I'm in poison oak today and I go wash it tonight, I won't have it tomorrow. Really? I'm on it. Try it. I, I've got Dawn under my sink. I mean, it, it, it's in my... Sh- it used to be under my sink and now it's no, in it's my in shower. shower. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't wash every day with it, but yeah, if get, there's a day when I'm in contact with you think you got it. Absolutely. Right. Oh, that's a good idea. I just make sure that my clothes are in the washer first, first yeah, because right. I'll pick my clothes up. This happened to me last year. The one time I forgot to put my clothes in the washer, yourself. and then I ended up having to go to the hospital and get uh, steroid pills. Oh, man. Did you, ever, did you ever get the shot? No. Oh, no, get the I've shot. Got, get the shot? Yeah. I... I, I so, whatever. Maybe I'm sensitive to the stare of the pills, the prednisone yeah. pills, yeah. but I don't take the pills anymore. I, uh-huh. I no joke, would gain like ten pounds in those really? five days. Yeah, and I, my wife was like, "You are an a hole." Yeah, and raging. Yeah, Roy and rage. Yeah, whatever it is, man. I don't know. And so, For sure. so I, I asked my doctor that I go, "Hey, man, is there anything I can do other than these pills?" And he goes, well, I can give you a shot. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, well, let's try it. I mean, I have a bad habit of rubbing my eyes mm-hmm. and, and getting it in my eyes. And that shot is the best thing. It will, what, however far it's got, it will stop it and mm-hmm. it will dry it up. And it will be gone within three, four days. But it, really? you don't get the oily stuff. You don't um, get the seepage. You no, know, you don't get any of that. And uh, it, I don't have the side effects from the prednisone. So it... The shot is my recommendation. Okay, it's fast. Like I don't even have to go see the doctor anymore. Fast. I call him up. I'm like, hey, doc. Uh, yeah, I was in Poison Oak. He's like, what did you do this time? And I'm like, tell him. He goes, all right, here, go, you know, go down. And your name will be on the list. And I'll just walk in. The nurse will jab me in the arm and sit. Dundale. Move on. Dundale. Yep. So, good. yeah, I am highly sensitive to Poison Oak, and I was in some today. So I'll probably. Oh great! Did I I'll shake look- your hand? I probably did. I gotta take a shower with Don Dish up tonight. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I I will probably try it tonight just to be safe. Yeah. So. Yeah, give it a whirl. Let me know. Um, so I see on here after the dead eye question, you've got how do we contact Caltip? Yeah. So um, anybody who has a hunting or fishing license is on the back of that, um, but it's one eight 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 DFG Cal T is the is the number. So whatever that works out to in a, a number. Yeah. But uh, we also have a, a text to tip mm-hmm. uh, function that is pretty cool. Uh, there's uh, wardens around the state that have that receive the texts, and then they can send it out to whatever warden you know, is, is in, in that particular area. Yeah, yeah. That's it's been 
it's been cool to see the evolution of that and see how people are using it. It works. Um, it does. Um, we get a lot of like really bad reports. Too, <laughs> it's like, hey, I saw a truck driving down this road. And you're like, great. There, that's not a tip. Thanks. You know, maybe a license plate, and then there was a giant buck in the back in yeah. January. Yeah. So um, in January, <laughs> but. The you know the fact is that people are calling and yeah. and we can't be everywhere at once so yeah. we we rely on well, sometimes it might even take you guys as long as twenty four hours to get oh absolutely there's yeah. no question yeah um, I mean there's times when your you know wardens who uh, backcountry districts are in the backcountry it may be days before they're able to get a report yeah generally the reports will go if they don't make it to the warden they'll go to an, another warden within the same squad yeah uh, so somebody will get back to the reporting party at the very least uh you know there's horror stories out there that people call caltip and they never get a call back yeah it, it happens um i got i couldn't imagine what the caltip call line actually looks like as far as volume of calls it, it varies yeah, yeah. like it, I'd it, have to imagine, especially during deer season, it's probably pretty astronomical. Right, and, I can't and, imagine it's low. No, it's not. And, and you know, dove opener is a big one. People a lot of call, a lot of people calling for that. Uh, turkey, yeah, a lot of calls during turkey season. A lot yeah. of trespassing calls primarily. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it just it, it kind of comes and goes. A yeah. Waterfowl season, hell, some, but yeah, we we handle them as they come in, and, and we appreciate every single call. Uh, so. Uh, we've made some really, really good cases off Caltech calls. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, a lot of them lead into much bigger cases than oh, really? than are actually what are being reported. Yeah, because yeah. we'll we'll dig into something and we'll find like, whoa, wait a second, this doesn't end here. Yeah, this, there's a lot more to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we've made a really big deer case in uh, Amador, El Dorado County. I don't know, it was probably seven, eight years ago now. Then it just got generated from a kind of quasi-random cow tip call where they called in like hey you know i noticed my neighbors unloading some coolers and is that the you know, yosemite one no this was a different one yeah this wasn't no no different one yeah, yeah. um yeah it just it was just something random like that and just you know started looking into it and it just went, blew up from there oh, and wow. they i don't know how many deer these guys were poaching but holy lots, shit. lots of deer they were selling it so selling it within their community and uh yeah we ended up yeah and that you know that's it's so funny because i get so many people that approach me so often that are like hey let me buy some deer meat from you and i'm like absolutely not yeah you can't sell wild game you cannot sell harvested wild game at all period it is not legal no there's no avenue for it at all absolutely not you know when you see we get a lot of these kind of reports when you you see stores sort of selling venison. That's a farm-raised, That's farm-raised venison. Is there antibiotics in that? There might be. Uh, I have there, no idea. There might be. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's where I find it so funny when people are like, oh, well, I'm, I'm eating bison or I'm eating right. whatever. And they're like, but it's wild game. And I'm like, but it's not. Or you go to a restaurant that says wild boar right. in the recipe on, or in the menu. And it's like. That's not wild boar no. because that's a crime. Although now, oh okay, it, it, pigs a, a different story. Yeah, so is it in some states? Yeah, uh, I think uh, get it wrong. But I want to say Texas and Florida, you can uh, trap pigs, mm-hmm. sell them to a company that quarantines them for thirty Whatever. days, let's say, yeah, and then they slaughter them yeah. and sell it as wild 
pig. Well, that's wild pig. Yeah, I would say that's, that's wild, pig. wild pig. Yeah, and I stand corrected. No, but that's like like the only circumstance circumstance that I know of where yeah. it is legal to sell wild game meat. Yeah, uh, you know the the illegal wildlife trade is unbelievable. Yeah, it's huge. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it, it's not going to change anytime soon. Yeah. So. Well, right on, man. On behalf of Anthony and myself, thank you so much for yeah, making the trek down here. We appreciate it. I, I appreciate the, the sounding board. You know, and, and uh, if there's anything that you ever come up with in the future that you guys would like to discuss or or have an avenue to address the I hunting public it. of California, we'd love to talk further with you guys about anything. Oh. And if I come up with any other crazy harebrained formats and things I'd let like to know. discuss, I'm going to let you know because it sounds like you're the go-to guy. I, I can ramble on with, yeah. with, with, with a lot of people. So. Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. So thank yeah. you, Andy. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.